Hey, what's going on everyone? This is Jeff from A Series of Horrors, and we are looking for sponsors. If you are interested in sponsoring A Series of Horrors podcast, all you need to do is reach out to us at seriesofhorrors at gmail.com, or you can always slide into our DMs at Series of Horrors podcast on Instagram. Thanks. Welcome to a series of horrors podcast. We're the podcast that does deep dives into horror movie franchises and for horror fans and non-horror fans alike. I'm Jackie from Canada. And I am Jeff from America. And today we are continuing on the conjuring path to conjure and conjure some more one more time <laughs> after this one. Emphasis on the con. <laughs> You know, hey, little column A, little column B. We'll see. <laughs> and this time, we travel. We cross the pond in this one. We go to a third country that neither of us are from. <laughs> and we go to England for The Conjuring 2. Yes, The Enfield Poltergeist. Were you familiar with The Enfield Poltergeist case before this? Before this watching, I had heard of it. But when I watched it for the first time, never heard of this case ever before the, <sighs> my first initial watching this movie. This time I had already, you know, just through osmosis and through knowing you, I just think I've got picked up little things here and there mm-hmm. and watching things on there about the, the utter scan these little girls around the world. That seems to be what it was. It's just that these girls wanted attention and got some. Yeah, that's what I always took from it, too. I... As I was saying, I wish I had done further research into the what actually happened versus the movie before we recorded today, but life, life gets in the way. From my memory of it, it was just so clearly a scam. I remember the pictures of them levitating, quote unquote, and it's just so obviously them jumping on their pants. I just think it was little girls looking for attention that got out of hand. Yeah, that's exactly what I think it was as well. And I, in my brain, I always get it conflated with the story of the little girls in England that saw that said they saw fairies that made that up to those are the ones that I was. I get these two cases confused in my brain. I forget about that case. I mean, yeah, they're like, oh, there's fairies in my backyard. It was like these cool things that they had cut out of paper that looked very translucent on camera or whatever. Mm-hmm. So they had fairies in their backyard. They made a movie about that one, but it wasn't a horror movie. It was more like of a drama or fantasy type movie. I think in the movie they were like, the fairies were actually real or something. I don't know. But I always get these two things confused in my head because I think they were, in my brain, they like live next door to each other. <laughs> I mean, England is relatively small. So. Yeah, so one had ghosts, supposedly, and one had fairies in the backyard. So it's basically about the same. Same difference. I mean, yeah. especially if you're the Warrens, probably the exact same thing. They would be like, it's an inhuman spirit. In your backyard, invading your trees and shrubbery. Yeah. And I was, let me sing Elvis song. Uh, <laughs> I hated this. that part so much. But anyways, we can get into it. Patrick Wilson isn't that bad of a singer. It's not about his singing. His singing is great. I have notes when we get to his singing about my personal feelings. I'll, I'll talk about it then. <laughs> Should he have done a different Elvis song? We'll get there. Something in the ghetto, maybe eight you know, and something else. Huh? I don't know why in the ghetto is a song that came to my head from Elvis, but <laughs> I don't know why that of all songs. Wait, that's the song? But yeah, no blue <sighs> shoes, no hound dog. No, I thought in the ghetto. Yeah, automatically goes there. <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah, I don't. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, anyway, starting with this film, because I was going to yeah, say back to this film, and I'm like, nope, we haven't really even started this. <laughs> no. Going on into 
Amityville, I mean Enfield, I mean The Nun, yeah. or whatever this movie is today. It's like three movies. It's like Aquaman. I don't know if you saw Aquaman. It was like five movies. I did not see Aquaman. I get advertisements for it quite a lot on various platforms. And all I have to say is like, is Amber Heard supposed to be Ariel? Why is her hair that red? I guess she is in a way. She's like the princess of the sea. So in a way, yeah, she's supposed to be Ariel. And there's okay. kind of an Ursula character, maybe, in this movie. I don't think I want to see this film. Anyways. The algorithm says you have to watch it. So I guess you should. But <laughs> I think it's mainly because it was premiering on Canadian TV. Like, So since the pandemic has happened, since theaters are not open, they get relatively recent movies that were like big blockbusters and they broadcast them every weekend. So every time I watch cable TV, mainly to watch my Bachelor content, I get like... Like advertisements galore just being like Aquaman will be premiering blood or done like I don't care please stop telling me about this but you get to see Patrick Wilson again oh my god is he in that too he is in this yeah him Dolph Lundgren Momoa of course and Amber Heard and uh, other people other people yeah Boba Fett's in it I think huh yeah no still not interested <laughs> no but no Boba Fett's not doing it for you all right let's see uh, no. <laughs> oh well you don't know me at all. If you were like Guillermo's in it, I would be like, yes, there, now. Uh, we have Nicole Kidman? No, no, no Nicole Kidman? No, no, not uh, interested. There's no. um, the guy, which I'm very, I'm blanking on his name, but I should, but I know it, and I just am blanking on it. Oh, what's his name, yeah? Yeah, what's his name, you know. Um, Guillermo, he's in it. <laughs> just <laughs> Liar. <laughs> yeah, correct, yes, I am lying. Speaking of Guillermo, I tweeted him a picture of Gizmo being like, we named our kitty after your character. And he liked my tweet and it made me happy. That is nice of him. See, I can't, I don't, not like the guy that's. No, Harvey's the sweetheart. It's not his fault he's in that show. No, it's fine. (laughs) Oh, God. He's not like a writer or anything. It's not like his fault. It's not fun. He's doing the best he can with what they're giving him. It is hilarious, and you're just broken. Um, <laughs> Willem Dafoe. Hit me. Willem Dafoe. Oh, Willem Dafoe's an Aquaman. Okay. There That's what's-his-name. Okay. That's what's-his-name. That's fine. Like, Willem Dafoe shouldn't be a what's-his-name, but he was in that, for that no. brief moment. <laughs> well, you, we both know you're not good with names. No, no, not at all. I'm, like, the guy, I'm picturing it in my brain. You can't see it? No? Come on. Come on. <laughs> I'm waiting to hear all the names you come up with for these characters since, like, half of them don't matter anyway. Uh, no, but I have the girl from Bedazzled, um, Stuttering Stanley, the, the, the Phantom Child. Um. Phantom Child. Yeah, like, oh, he's in the movie. Then I forgot he, they had an extra child. I'm like, what is the extra boy doing? Is that the neighbor's kid? What's going on with this? There's the friend that I thought was going to have a bigger part, but doesn't. Yeah, I just, I love that there's two Peggy's. <laughs> It reminded me very much of our watch of Black Christmas, where I was texting you being like, oh my God, Barb is my favorite. Barb just did this. And you're like, yeah, Barb just did this. And I'm like, no, Barb didn't do that. Other person did that. And you're like, but their name's Barb. And I'm like, but that one's name is Barb. (laughs) And then we found out they're both Barb. I blame Black Christmas on bad screenwriting. This one, I just blame on, you know, they probably was, she probably was named Peggy and her name was also named Peggy. So I kind of whatever that one. Yeah. Black Christmas had no reason to have so many barbs. I think there was, and I think there was a third barb in Black Christmas too. <laughs> I think that you were making that up. I think it was only the two. <laughs> There's a third barb. There's like five barbs in Black Christmas. One of the cops is named Barb. The killer's, the killer's name is barb. actually Barb. <laughs> ah, we got it. Same time. Killer's name Barb. Oh boy. Well, All technically, right. in Black Christmas, it could be named Barb. We don't know who the killer is in Black Christmas. That is very fair. 
It could be Barb. It could be like evil Barb. It We haven't done that in a while. No, we haven't. But I like it. But I missed it. It was in my heart. So anyway, <laughs> only ten minutes of, of dance. It's fine. The song that plays in Jeff's heart constantly is just the saw theme. Dun, 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 exactly. dun, dun. Like ah, uh, dun, dun, dun. as I go to as I go to bed at night, I just lay my hand on the pillow. Dun, 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 dun. Sometimes the slow down orchestral version that I heard in Spiral. Still need to watch that one, but oh well. Yes. Okay. Don't don't worry, guys. Spiral is coming. Don't know where yet. The spiral is coming. We're gonna. We have to complete the saw. Uvra. Uvra is correct, right? Uvra. Right? <laughs> yes. That's a word. <laughs> Isn't it though? <laughs> It's a big one. Um, it's actually not that big. It's just complicated, we say. <laughs> but, um, yes, the whole Saw Pantheon? No, Pantheon. Calling it a Saw series seems kind of like I'm putting it down. The Saw Excellent Adventure. That's what I call it. Um, you mean like something like the Marvel Extended Universe, but the Saw Extended Universe? <laughs> exactly. I need that. The S-E-U. Yeah, there you go. All right, that'll work for me. It kind of <laughs> is an E-U at this point, because considering Jigsaw and Spiral, yeah. Okay. And I have to rewatch Spiral before we talk about it. Yeah, since it's been weeks now. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, I think it's finally time that we jump into this crappy movie. If we must. You know, it is what, it is what people are here for. They do want to hear uh, very hot takes. All right. Before I, we get started, actually, mm-hmm. unlike last week, <laughs> movie on one side, Ed and Lorraine, actual crooks on, on separate side, are still conflated. Every once in a while conflated just because it irks me too much, but I will try not to just constantly rant about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I'm like, I understand. I agree. Hustlers, scam artists, and con artists. Get it. At movie and Ed Lorraine, nice people, loving and care about each other. Yes, I do agree. Every once in a while, though, I'm just like, mm. You guys are shitty people. Ah! Them just even playing that they were part of the Unfield Poltergeist this much. They were not. Yeah, didn't they like show for an afternoon and leave or something? Exactly. And they didn't solve the case. like Because there was no case. It was just these little girls jumping on the bed. Yeah, exactly. But it's just the fact that they've made this into, oh, we were so integral to this investigation. You weren't. So yeah, there's little moments like that that I will probably still end up ranting. But I will try my best not to constantly, every single time they say a line, be like, fucking con artist. <laughs> you didn't care about these people. I'm like, I right, just... <laughs> just wondering really what I'm getting in for. Just wondering how much. I'll try and tone it down. I promise. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I felt sideswiped the last time. Like, what the hell? I don't know what's going on here. What's happening? Jackie's just like internal rage. That's what's happening. <laughs> and I'm, it caught me off guard last time. I said, like, oh no, I'm getting beat up here. Like, I don't hate them. I don't care that much. Oh no. Don't hit me, Jackie. It's fine. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, this movie. Yes, this movie. Yes, this one. Okay, so the film opens on a sunny day in a nice suburban neighborhood. The camera then pans back through a dusty window. And as we go further back, we realize that it's one of the two famous windows on the 112 Ocean Avenue house in Amneville, a.k.a. the Amneville Horror House. We get a voiceover from Lorraine. She says, after everything we've seen, there isn't much that rattles either of us anymore. But this one, this one still haunts me. And it's the one we can't make a movie about because we don't have the rights to Amityville. But we can't do the defense because that's history. So yeah, precisely. So we pan out to see the other window and then a Chiron comes on the screen saying Amityville, New York, 1976. 
Enter Drew. He's setting up their equipment in the attic room to record or something or other. Then Lorraine's voiceover comes in again, and she says, Two months prior to our involvement, the Lutz family had fled their home in the middle of the night, claiming that the house was haunted. The church had reached out to us for help. They wanted to see if we could confirm that the activity that had been reported by the Lutzes. Drew then walks downstairs and he has a suitcase in his hand, which I assume is more recording equipment, but I don't really know. It's like a metal suitcase. That'd be my guess. Yeah. He then enters the dining room where several people are sitting around a table, including Ed and Lorraine Warren. Ed calls the group to order and... Sorry. Oh, he calls the group to order, asking, okay, are we ready? Then let's get started. He nods at Drew, who stands up and closes the curtains, making the only light in the room candles that are lit around the yeah. room. Very and I'm sad because you never see Drew again. I know, like, pretty much until he opens the curtains at the end of the scene, but, like, that's it. That's all the Drew we get in this movie. <laughs> Poor Drew. He deserves a trip to England. Right? He definitely does. <laughs> um, so Lorraine speaks to the group and she says, I'd like you to sit quietly and close your eyes. Envision yourselves in a halo of glowing white light that will protect you. Then we get Lorraine Wozover. She says, a year before the Lutz has moved in, a young man named Ronnie DeFeo had brutally murdered his entire family in this house. We'd hope to discover if the killings had been motivated purely by anger or if, as Ronnie DeFeo testified in court, he had been under the influence of something demonic. He was under the influence of, like, cocaine, right? Or heroin or something? Yeah, he was, like, a drug addict and, like, generally had anger issues and had tried to kill his father before and all sorts of things. Yeah. So he was under the influence of a demon. I mean, it depends. Do you count cocaine as a demon? Because some people do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm saying, like, you know, I'm thinking the demon was cocaine, not really a demonic possession like Valak or Malachi or whatever. The, the... I misheard Valak and I heard Phallic. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry, hey, what now? <laughs> that's a different kind of demon altogether. That's just like, that's... He was possessed by the Phallic demon. <laughs> he was. That's It would have been a totally different movie at that point. Is that like what like the porn version of this movie would be? It'd be like... <laughs> Let me show you my demons. Exactly. You know, that's got to be a that's got to be a line in there, right? Just, <laughs> oh no. Okay. Got to get the evil out. It has to be in there somewhere. I'm trying to think of other lines from The Exorcist that could convert, but my mind's going blank. Yeah, uh, so the power Chris compels you shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be using that connotation, right? Just, I was going to be like, this, I have a very vulgar version of that in mind. Well, there is a line, you know. That comes to mind, but it's okay. But anyway, back to this movie. You can fill in the blanks, listeners. Don't worry. <laughs> the real obvious one. That's the, just like... Send us your horror movie porn puns, please. <laughs> we would love to hear it. Yes, put them in the group. Oh, man, it'd, it'd be a great day. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, Lorraine puts her hands on the table and closes her eyes. The camera zooms in on her and her eyes are shut until suddenly we hear a gunshot and her eyes shoot open again. The camera pans out as Lorraine seems to be the only one who is conscious. Everyone else is still frozen with their eyes closed at the table. She gets up from the table and begins wandering through the house. When she looks back to the dining room, she can see herself still seated at the table beside Ed. 
We hear whispering voices and they say, stay here, stay. Lorraine then follows the voices up the stairs into the dark hallway. A door at the top of the stairs creaks open and reveals a woman sitting on the edge of her bed in a classic horror movie nightgown. Though she doesn't have sleeves, actually, so it's not quite classic. Yeah, because you have the puffy sleeves. But mm-hmm. not the same. No, she has like the cut off greaser style. Like- <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the tank top wife beater style of this. Yeah. <laughs> She's hip. The whispers are now saying, kill her and shoot them. The camera cuts to a dead man lying on his stomach beside the woman. The woman's head then shoots towards Lorraine and she asks, what did you do? The whispers continue, shoot her. And Lorraine cocks an imaginary shotgun and shoots her. I've heard other people say that this whole sequence of her like coldly going and shooting each person is like really chilling and whatever. I find this so fucking funny. <laughs> like her pantomiming shooting people. <laughs> just like, what is happening here? I don't understand. The only thing I did like about the scene was when she was in the mirror and like the coordination between her and whoever acted as Ronnie DeFeo, the actor, yeah. doing holding an actual shotgun or a prop shotgun, whatever. And he's like, they're doing the same movement. So I thought that was pretty good. That was well done. What I did notice is like, so they constantly are showing like anytime it's her reflection, it's actually Ronnie. Except for in this scene here, you actually see her hand in the mirror behind the door. They didn't edit that out. They didn't have time or money. And it's not these movies are popular. (laughs) Oh, man. But yeah, so you know me. Every once in a while, I have an eagle eye for details. And I noticed that and was just like, but aren't you supposed to be him in reflections? I'm confused. Anyways. Yeah, the whole left-right thing kind of, I was watching, I'm like, oh, well, are they using the same, are they using the right hand, considering the way he's holding the shotgun and she's holding the shotgun? But then I didn't want to really look into it, so I just like... <laughs> I did not even consider that, but that is a fair point. Like, something looked off to me real quick, but I was like, oh, maybe, maybe it was right, and I just like, I'm not going to really So... Every single time she shoots a person, we cut between their dead body and then a posed photograph of the person, like family portraits. Also, if you notice, these family portraits are like hanged on the stairwell as she walks up. Ah, did not notice that. Lorraine continues on down the hall. As we already mentioned in the hallway mirror, her reflection shows Ronnie with the shotgun instead. She goes into the boys' room and shoots them too. The Lorraine, Ronnie, whatever, cocks the gun again and moves on. We cut to Lorraine at the table. Her head is turning back and forth, looking very distressed. Then the Lorraine-Ronnie hybrid, what I call the ghost dimension, because I'm just like, I don't know how to describe this other than like, it's not the real Lorraine because the real Lorraine is at the table. So this is like ghost dimension Lorraine. Is that what they call it in Insidious? I don't know. No, that's um the, the, the far away. Oh. I forget what they call it in Insidious. But no, the ghost dimension was from paranormal activity. <laughs> If she'd have gone back in time or like transported herself as like waved at Mika or something, that'd have been great. <laughs> she just shows up in Mika's house. Yeah, like, what the hell? We're in Mika's house. And the, this pool vacuum's everywhere, just like attacking her. <laughs> she turns a cur- corner, there's a giant teddy bear there with a knife. <laughs> Somehow smiling. Okay. So she shoots the sister and then Lorraine gasps at the table and looks at her and asks, honey, you okay? What do you see? The ghost dimension Lorraine upstairs is freaking out and backing away from the sister's room. She slides down the wall to the floor crying. Then through the banisters, she sees a little boy with glowing eyes in a striped shirt. Although my writing looked like it said a stupid shirt. <laughs> Anyways. Was it a stupid shirt, though? It might have been stupid. It might have been stupid. 
Yeah, stupid stripes. <laughs> the little boy's peering out from the doorframe. And so there's a famous photo from the Amnuville house where they caught a little boy, like a ghost photo of a little boy peering out from behind a doorframe. This is what that little boy is supposed to be. Ah, okay. I was wondering. All right, now I got it. I thought it was going to be one of the little dead brothers or something. Just... I did like how they went through the murders because they don't show them getting shot. They show them uh, like a before and after. Is he before? Smash cut. After. Shotgun yeah. noise. It's just like. Agreed. I did like that. I just didn't like the imaginary shotgun bit because it just made me laugh every time. Also, they don't show the youngest daughter being killed, I don't think. No, no, they do. They show um, the mom, the dad, the, the brothers in the room, and they go to the little girl's room. But that's the one they really. They really no, because there's two daughters. Oh, then yeah, then you show the one. Yeah. Because there's like one closer to Ronnie's age that they had all this animosity, apparently, and whatever. And then there was the young one. No, I think they don't show that one. In the movie, they go age order. Like the boys are like older, and then they go to the little girl's room. I thought the boys were younger, like, because they show the picture of her, and she looks like she's like teenaged. I don't know, but in the bedroom, it looks like it's a little girl. I don't know, man. Either way. The next 20 minutes is just this stuff. So Exactly. Yeah, so there's the little boy. He's peering out from behind a doorframe. Lorraine starts to get up, and as she's getting up, he runs down the stairs. She chases after him, and then once downstairs, she sees Ed at the seance table trying to stir her. He's saying, Lorraine, Lorraine, what is happening? And she says, I have to see. And then in the ghost dimension, Lorraine says, oh, sorry, that was in the ghost dimension that Lorraine is saying, I have to see. And then Ed says, we're through, we're through. It's a time to come back. A door in the front hall opens to reveal the little boy. He laughs creepily and then he runs away. Lorraine runs after him. And at the table, Lorraine says, I think he wants to show me. Ghost Dimension Lorraine runs into the basement. The kid has a jump scare as he runs out from behind something. And then Lorraine continues to stalk him through the basement. She paces around in a circle. And while her back is turned, the four children that were shot appear behind her. And they're all bloody with glowing eyes. Very creepy. Mm -hmm. She looks at them, startled. Then altogether, their heads snap to look in the same direction behind Lorraine. She turns to look and sees nothing but a mirror that's covered by a sheet. When she turns back, the children are gone. She goes to rip off the sheet and watches as a nun slowly walks out from behind her in the reflection. Lorraine turns to look behind her, but no one is there. She turns to look back at the mirror to see this. Oh, I wrote, she looks like a sad mime, the nun, for makeup. <laughs> yeah, this was not good makeup. No. So she looks like a sad mime or like a juggalo or something. I don't know. It's just bad makeup. So she sees this nun right behind her. She turns again. And when she looks back to the mirror, the nun is right in front of her. She grabs her by the throat and starts strangling Lorraine and pushing her across the room. Only there's a reveal that Lorraine is the one strangling herself. She then looks at her hands as a pile of chairs knocks over to reveal Ed. His neck breaks backwards with a sickening crunch and Lorraine is screaming in real life and in the ghost dimension. Drew flings the curtains open again as Lorraine comes to, but she's still screaming. She sobs and hugs Ed. He tells her it's okay. She says, Ed, this is as close to hell as I ever want to get. And I'm just like, I'm sorry, my friend. You should have chosen another career. <laughs> like Pretty much. And then, I don't know. Like, we were talking about this earlier. It throws me off how she does a 180 between this movie and the last movie. Just the way her... But fortunately, this happened. But I don't care. This is this is what my... Not even my lot in life. This is like the path I have chosen. I'm going to help these people. We have to use these my gift to help people. And this was like, F this. F this noise. I'm not trying to do anything. 
Yeah, I don't get it either because she's like, later she reveals that she's had this vision before. So it was a vision she had with the Remy exorcism or whatever, which is the nun, Maurice, Remy. Remy. Yeah, he was a little mouse that was cooked, (laughs) apparently. It would possess people and make them cook ratatouille. <laughs> exactly. That's what it would do. <laughs> ah, me and my name. Anyway, so Maurice. So it was the same spirit because we find out in the nun that it was a, it was valid the nun that was possessed her. So I guess the exorcism didn't go well. That shows and she shows her her this, the death of Ed. Then they go off to the parents and then nineteen girls, right? And then <laughs> She's yeah. like, yes, you have to help him. And now she sees it again, which is the same thing she saw already. And now she's like, no, I'm not helping anyone ever again. I'm done. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. It doesn't really make sense. I could try to argue that it's like, oh, you see it once and you're like, okay, I've recovered. Like, it will be okay. We can still do this. And then you see it a second time. You're like, nope, nope, nope. This is like some dead serious shit. And I don't want my husband to die. So I guess makes sense. But then now, I don't know. They Like they switch parts for no, for literally no reason. Because they could have kept the same characters and just done the same. Then we would have changed in no way. Yeah, but alas, <laughs> this is what they've chosen to do. And it's all the same people, right? Like James Wan's back, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a different writer. I'm going I'm to assume so. I'm going to assume it's a different writer. And this, this stuff that should have been caught. Or they just didn't care. And I don't think... I think it's because they have like this whole thing of like Lorraine has to be the one having the visions of the nun and like blah da 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 da. So if she's having the visions of this nun and it's the super villain or whatever, it makes sense for her to be scared of it versus Ed, who you, you know what I mean? Isn't, he's not experiencing that. I mean, he has the one dream, but other than the dream, like even when he has the dream, he's like, I don't know, this thing just stuck with me. Like, he doesn't seem like I had a nightmare. It was terrible. This is the thing that haunted me in my dream. No, he's like, no, I just, I couldn't get this out of my head. It was a weird, creepy thing. I thought I'd paint it just because. You know, I used to do all those sad clown paintings and this just seemed like an extension of that. You know? Yes, it's a sad nun. It is now. So it's, it's about the same, right? It's like cousin of the sad clown. I don't under Okay, well, I, we all know I hate clowns um, to start with, but yeah. why sad clown paintings? Why is that a thing? It's ironic because clowns are supposed to make people happy. Now the, the clown is sad. We freeze frame on Ed and Lorraine, and then we got text time. Yeah. Ed and Lorraine, Warren's investigations into the Amnieville haunting sparked a media firestorm and catapulted them into the public eye. Meanwhile, a haunting that many would later compare to Amneville was unfolding thousands of miles away in Enfield, England. It would draw the Warrens into one of their most diabolical cases based on a true story, The Conjuring 2. Dun dun. Fun time. Fun time. Fun time. Fun time. Dun dun. <laughs> What is this, Law and Order? Yeah, that's what that, that was the... Because I felt like, I don't know, me doing this really long speech and then like based on a true story, it just felt like the beginning of Law and Order where it's like, the most heinous crimes, da 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 And then it's the same font from the last time, just like, in case yes. you guys are wondering, same font. Same font, still cool looking. Very 70s stylish, you know, yeah. with the weird yellow tint to them. It's, it's, yeah, I like them, very, very classic. Agreed. Something about it like evokes the Exorcist, but it's not exactly like the Exorcist font because that was white and different. But like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. But it's because it's, it's the era. It's like that's the way fonts were. Like every almost like not just armor, but like movies in general had that kind of font in the in the seventies. And I think it was like seventy one or two something like that. I like the font. But anyways, okay, we cut to a gloomy 
view of England. And we know it's England because they start playing the Clash's London Calling, as you always do if you're an American trying to shorthand that you're in England. Yeah. Because, you know, we're idiots here in America. Which is such a tired trope. It's Cleveland, right? Oh, no, it's the Clash. No, we forget it's England. Why does it always have to be London Calling? Why can't it be a different, like, British song like god save the queen or something because <laughs> well, that one because london Call has london in the title is there like another like famous song that has like besides like london bridges falling down you know they could they could like do and... sweeney todd's worst pies in london <laughs> <laughs> would that be famous exactly just... how is it not i don't know um, I don't know it. I saw that. So I'm kind of not big on musicals. Really? So, you know, no, I don't like musicals. Wait, watch the rest. Watch your hurry. Gave me such a fight. Thought you were a ghost. And then Johnny Depp's in the movie, so that also makes me not want to watch it. Yeah, but that's like one of the better ones. I, I really like the movie. We have another like cheap montage of British things so that you know that you're in Britain. We cut to two young girls. They're sitting on the steps of a, in the schoolyard, and one of them is smoking a cigarette. She is far too young for a cigarette, but she is. She's talking about sneaking out with her boyfriend or something like that tonight, and that there's another boy that wants to meet the other girl, whose name is Janet, and that she should sneak out too so that they can all hang out. Janet says that she can't because her mom, if her mom found out, she'd be in such trouble. Then her friend hands her the cigarette in order to give her back the spirit board that they made. Then the school mistress comes down and catches them with the cigarette and tells them off while confiscating it. And then as they run away, she starts smoking it, which really reminded me of 10 Things I Hate About You when they're in detention. He's like, your eyes are all bloodshot. You're all twitchy. You've got pot, don't you? And he's like, yes, sir. He's like, I'm taking this. Walks down the aisle and sees like Cheetos in someone's desk. And he's like, this too. Okay, so the school bell rings and the kids come pouring out of the school. Janet and her brother Billy call out to their other siblings, Margaret and Johnny, because apparently they're from different schools that are across the street from each other, even though like the age ranges don't make sense because it would be like Janet and Margaret, you would think, would be in the same school and Johnny and Billy in the same school because of the age order. But Johnny and Billy look like they're both like they're twins, I guess. And at least slightly shorter, very slightly. Ever so slightly, yes. And which one's the phantom child, Billy or Stanley? Johnny. Johnny. I'm thinking stuttering Stanley. That's why it's just like you're not doing But um, yeah. And man, if he didn't stutter, like we were saying earlier, like I was talking, I think, before we started recording, one of them didn't stutter, I'd have no idea who these kids were. Yeah, pretty much. It was even hard for me at certain points. (laughs) I was just like, Johnny, question marks, does this. And then he would stutter and cross it out. And I'm like, Billy. Johnny does nothing the entire movie. So that that was the easy one. Like, the other one, the Phantom Child does nothing this movie, except gets stabbed yeah, or gets haunted or whatever happens to him later. And other than that, nothing else happens. It's attacked in a kitchen. <laughs> and locked in a pantry? Yeah. Cupboard? Something? But cupboard, pantry, not sure what it was. But in real life, that child was off at boarding school, apparently. But they didn't want to put that into the script because they thought that made it seem like they actually had some money, which they didn't. So, but and now I'm wondering, why was he in boarding school near the three just hanging out with mom? Was he like juvie boarding school or? I honestly do not know. As I said, I because like me even saying that, that's just like my memories of researching this case years ago. I don't remember the details of this case. So I can't remember why he was at boarding school, but he was. He liked to set fire. So it's in the boarding school. That's going to be my, my head cannon. Don't know why I got okay. that specific with it, but fine. Johnny the fire starter. Got it. Yes, that's what it is. Him <laughs> and Drew Barrymore. The yeah. And Prodigy. All right, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> 
boy. Okay. Margaret asked Janet how her day was. Janet says, no good. It's a long story. She'll tell her later. Then a group of boys start teasing Billy over his stutter, and Janet tells them to shut up. They all walk home together, the siblings. A Chiron comes on the screen, and it says, Hodgson Residence, Enfield, England, 1977. Peggy, the mom, is on the phone saying she won't be able to make rent this month, saying that the kid's dad hasn't paid child support in months. Then the mom lays into Janet after getting off the phone for being caught smoking. Johnny continues to rat out Janet more because Janet's denying it. And he's like, no, she was caught. It was all over the school, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, Billy is screaming and asking after some biscuits. And the mom yells that she couldn't get biscuits because they don't have any money. And I was like, oh, that's pretty sad. But then we cut to nighttime. Johnny is playing with a zoetrope toy. Then the mom finds Billy playing with a toy fire truck inside his tent that's in the hallway. What is it with tents inside the house? I don't get it. I don't know. We had like a little fort in our basement when we were younger. Basically, my parents had a lot of paperwork from their business. So they had all these banker boxes of paperwork. (laughs) So we took them out of the storage room and like built a wall. But like there was like a window through it and stuff with all the boxes. And then... We draped a sheet over it and pinned it to the other side of the wall. So we had this like fort that we would hang out with in and like have sleepovers in and whatever. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, but you guys used it. This is like the tent that gets used, I think, this time. And like, I don't see anybody else ever in it again besides the crooked man. Yeah, pretty much. Well, I think that's because he finds the crooked man in it and is just like, nope, never going in that tent again. <laughs> <laughs> I would have said, hey, time for me to take this down. <laughs> take this away. In the daylight, of course. You would think. Also, at the end of the movie, I figured that it was actually blocking a closet the whole time. And I'm like, this doesn't seem like a good place for it. Like, why not in the living room in the corner where like it wouldn't be directly blocking something that seems useful? <laughs> Like where that chair is that no one wants to sit in because it's haunted. Yeah, exactly. They could get rid of that chair or something. You would think. Maybe they just like tent it off like um, when you're fumigating and then no one has to go to the chair. Could be. That could be another way. Anyways, um, yeah, they can't afford biscuits. Then we cut to night. Johnny is playing with the zoetrope toy. Mum finds Billy playing with a toy fire truck inside of the tent uh, that's erected in the hallway. And she offers him some biscuits. And he's like, what? I thought we didn't have money for biscuits. We have biscuits. And she's just like, I had to quit smoking anyways. Allison's a good good mom. Yeah, exactly. We then get a tracking shot of Margaret walking from her mother's room past the tent, down the hall, passing the boys' room with the girls' room right next door to it. We also see that there's a bathroom at the end of the hall. She walks in on Janet playing with the spirit board alone. And my question is, isn't this rule number one about spirit boards is that you never play alone? These girls don't strike me as people that know and or want to follow the rules. (laughs) Okay, fair point, Jeff, fair point. But yeah, never play alone and always say goodbye. Those are the top two rules of if you're going to play with a spirit board, just so everyone else knows. Is it like according to Ouija, like don't play in a cemetery around dead bodies or something and don't do something else? I'm pretty sure they say that too. I definitely have played a Ouija board in a cemetery. One Halloween, that was our goal. We all went to the cemetery that was on the bus line and played Ouija board there. Nothing happened. Those things don't work, right? It's just, but I'm the not, only I'm way that they're working is just like people pushing it. And sometimes it's subconsciously like your body is just like setting off like small motions. 
without you thinking about it. But yeah, they don't actually work. Yeah, I'm still not going to chance it and use one, but still, you know, I hear they don't work. Yeah. So anyways, she breaks the rules. She's playing it alone. Janet says her and Camilla made it at school and that it really works. They've already asked it all sorts of stuff. And then she offers to show Margaret. Margaret joins in. Janet asks it if dad will ever come home, but the planchette doesn't move. They stop and Janet puts the board underneath her bed. We cut to one o'clock in the morning. Everyone is asleep. And how on earth does the mom sleep with a laundry basket on her bed? I've done that. I'm fine. Really? Yeah, I've done that. It's like, it's not even like it's on the other side of the bed that she doesn't sleep on. It's at her feet. Yeah, that's usually where the laundry ends up. Like when I, don't, when I feel too lazy to put it away, it's usually at my feet. Just okay, if it was the just cover. the cloth, like the clothes laying over the bed... Sure, I could see that. But it's a basket that can be, like, knocked over. She's a very heavy sleeper and doesn't move in her in her sleep. Like, come on, she's, she's a tired mom. She's, you know, I have these four kids or three kids or whatever, and I'm just trying to make ends meet because we don't have money for biscuits, a.k.a. cookies. Biscuits and cookies are very similar, but different. <laughs> I thought in Britain land, biscuits were cookies. Yes, but like they're denser. I don't know how to explain. Like biscuits are meant to have with tea. Like you need the liquid, which is like a problem that comes up later. But anyways, there's a distant whistling as the camera closes in on Janet's face. There is a strange noise. And then the camera pans out to show Janet is no longer in her bed, but at the foot of the old armchair in the living room. She looks around and sees nothing, but hears clattering upstairs. We cut to Margaret still asleep. The lock on the door is clicking, and then a banging comes from the door. She gets up, and she sees Janet isn't in her bed, as there are three loud knocks coming from the door. She gets up and opens it, but no one is there. A moment later, Janet appears in the hall, and Margaret tells her off for banging on the door. Janet says that she didn't. They both go back to bed. We then cut to the next day, and Mama Peggy is talking to her friend Peggy. (laughs) And for clarity, for the rest of my notes, I have decided to call friend Peggy Mrs. S, because that is who she plays in Orphan Black, which is a fantastic Canadian TV show. If you haven't watched it, watch it. (laughs) So they're talking about Janet smoking at school and lying about it. They head down to the basement and it's like the world's creepiest laundry room. Mama Peggy is theorizing that Janet's behavior is to do with her father leaving, but says she can't just let it slide. Mrs. S asks if Mama Peggy has told Richard about it. Mama Peggy says she would if she ever saw him and that she's stretched too thin right now. She's doing both jobs and it's making her a shitty mom, pretty much. Then, oh, oh, that's just my personal note. I'm like, I know this is based on a true story and that's probably why there are two Peggies, but why are there two Peggies? Well, I didn't have that issue since I called Mama Peggy. I called her Alice in the whole movie because that was her name and I'm bedazzled. And the other Peggy's in the movie enough for me to be like, Peggy's her name. It was just like, Allison. Oh, Allison. You look better in bedazzled. And I just keep on... I just keep on I don't even remember her from bedazzled, but then again, I barely remember bedazzled. She was she was the object of his affection. <laughs> in bedazzled. Like, she was literally like... She plays like... Well, it's, it's hard to remember anybody because everybody plays like 10 people in that movie. Mm-hmm. She's pretty cool. She does a good yeah. job, but yeah. I only remember uh, Brendan Fraser and Elizabeth Hurley from that movie, but... Fun fact about that movie, her costumes were all like actual clothes she owned. Oh. 
I could see that. I mean, she is a model. So anyways, okay. So mom, Peggy, she turns on the washing machine and it starts spraying water and they scream. We then cut to Ed and Lorraine on the Becky Rivers show. They're right. ta- Before we keep on going too far. Mm. So the washing machine spews water and mm-hmm. then they just don't do anything for like three months, apparently. Because at the end of the movie, they go into the basement and it's still spewing water. And Pretty it's much. Okay, just start out. Yeah. Yeah. They just say, ah! And leave it. Never, they never, no one decides to ever turn the water off. Anything. And like anything at all. No, and I'm surprised that it's only flooded like up to Ed's knees by that time it, because it has been months. Yeah, like it should have been flooding out the basement door. Like, <laughs> she doesn't decide to call anybody ever at any point over this. I mean, we've established she has no money, so maybe that's why she's not. But like, she has neighbor man, Mister S. Like, yeah, <laughs> he could have showed up and done. I'm not saying he could have fixed it, but he could have done something in the three or four months that it took. Yeah. At the end of the movie, when Edda goes down there, I'm like, wait, it's still flooding? Really? Wow. <laughs> okay. Just <laughs> still going. Good to know. Good to know. I know that this scene had to be now so that we establish she has a friend and blah, 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 blah. I understand that that's why this is there. But, like, we should have had the washer breaking closer to when the Warrens show up because then it's just absolutely fucking ridiculous. I mean, the scares that happen in the scene where Ed is in the basement are decent. So, yes, those should stay. But, like, yeah, I agree that it just does not make sense that the basement was flooding for this long and no one did anything. I, I couldn't even be scared at that part because the whole time, like, it's still flooding? But really? <laughs> it's, yeah, so it's going the whole time. We think, oh, all right. Oh. All right, look, a jump scare. But um, so I'm telling so in these four months since this started, and she couldn't have called anyone ever about anything? It's not flooding out the door? Like, the whole time, I'm just like, logistics of this. <laughs> Can these scares. I mean, that's fair. My brain didn't go there, but you bring up very valid points. <laughs> just, I'm just thinking, there's structural damage in this house now, right? Because it's absolutely wooden panels have been like waterlogged three months now. Like it's yeah. Anyway, it just had to. <laughs> Maybe I should have saved that for later, but right now it just came to me. Listen, I can't. This is ridiculous. It's a very fair point. But so was right it now, draining slowly? Oh, because right, it was up to his knee, so it was kind. There has to be a drain in there somewhere, but not big, good enough for it to drain all the way, but just enough for it to be there about knee, knee deep or, or waist deep. I think is what it was. And why is there a pit there? All right, just all right, I keep on going. Because it's like flooding, oh, kind of where the washing machine is, but then there's like another part where like the basement has like a sub basement, and you go down lower, and it's like waist deep. Yeah, right, yeah, just, and like also their floorboards aren't finished at all like to the ceiling you know what i mean yeah like you can see through to the room above and the constant water rushing you would be able to hear it from the first floor of the house you would think so all right just thought i <laughs> they should have really showed it getting fixed and breaking constantly it's broken again like one line oh we fixed it but it's still broken oh i can't believe it. oh the guy i'm tired of coming to fix this you know whatever but no <laughs> it just it breaks now and it's broken for four months <laughs> yep makes sense <laughs> Okay, so let's cut to Ed and Lorraine on the Becky River show. They're talking yeah. about the house in Amneville with this skeptic. His name is Dr. Stephen Kaplan, 
I believe. He says that it's been well established that Amityville was a blatant hoax. Ed cuts in and he's like, that's never been proven. Dr. Steve rolls his eyes saying, yes, it has. The Lutz family made everything up so they could profit off of the publicity. Ed argues, that's not true. We see this all the time. It's very easy to sit on the outside and pick apart their story, but it's something very different to have been there and experienced it for yourself. Dr. Steve argues he doesn't need to go to the moon to know it's not made of green cheese and that Ed Warren has never seen a house he didn't think was haunted. And once his wife is done blowing smoke and ringing bells, they've got everybody else believing in the ghosts too. Ed asks, what exactly is Dr. Steve a doctor of anyway? And then Ed calls him a liar and Dr. Steve says to be careful who he calls a liar. Ed says, what are you going to do? Bro, come on, bro. Let's fight. Yeah. Let's go. Catch me outside. <laughs> come on, bro. Let's do this. That? Come on. Yeah. yeah. You didn't see how I was trying to fight that ghost in the last house I was in. Come on, bro. Let's do this. Oh, Let's Lord. Me and you. <laughs> After the show, Ed is angry and ranting, and Lorraine is trying to calm him down. We then cut to England, and Janet and Billy are working on his speech with the zoetrope, which, like, for the record, if you don't know what a zoetrope is, it's just, like, this toy that spins and uses a light to, like, cast shadows and, like, makes, like, though it's like a painted cartoon on the inside, and it makes it look like the cartoon's moving by spinning. Yeah, as it spins, it, it shows, like, as I say, a man walking or whatever, because it's the same idea as animation. You know, just like mm-hmm. the little movement, when they, you spin the, the thing around, you look through the little slits, it, you see it moving. Mm-hmm. It was very popular back when there wasn't technology. Just, I thought it was the 70s when this was very popular, but this seems more like it was from the 20s or the 30s, but whatever. Whatever. Um, I mean, like, maybe it came with the house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it came with the house. I'm, again, another creepy toy that a child is playing with, even though this one makes a little bit more sense than the, the spiral mirror in the last one. Yeah, because this one has this creepy ass theme song that goes along with it about the crooked man. I'm assuming that might be a nursery rhyme where they're from. Yeah, I'm, ass- I'm assuming that it is. But I was just like, why is this the toy that they make? This would be like making a toy with Slender Man nowadays. Like... <laughs> This crooked man thing is terrifying. Wasn't it a shame crooked man walked to live the crooked house, and had a crooked walk, blah blah blah. Maybe, sounds, but sounds like an insurance from my childhood. I don't remember it all. Hundred percent. Was a crooked man who had a crooked house? Who? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Maybe. Yeah, but this is not what they're doing. They're not doing this one. They're doing another one. Yeah. Exactly. So this one's just creepy, and I don't, I don't like it. But it was nice. I saw you saw sister trying to help the kids recite it, so he help them not stutter. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Exactly. They're both singing along to the nursery rhyme and Janet pauses it when Billy gets caught in a stammer and then they start again until he gets it. Mom and Peggy rewards him with a full plate of biscuits as she's telling him that he needs to go to bed. What? I don't know. Like, in what world are you like, yep, you need to go to bed, eat all these biscuits as you're lying in your bed? No, no, the best part is she tells him, listen, don't eat them all, but here's this whole plate. (laughs) Yeah, gives him a full plate of biscuits. Don't eat them all because then you'll be too thirsty, but I'm going to give you this entire plate of biscuits and you have to have the self-control. And also, you're not going to brush your teeth after eating these biscuits. And that's why in England, they have such bad dental work. (laughs) It's my only theory. They eat biscuits at night. Yeah. All of them. All of them. And they don't brush their teeth. Yeah. So she says not to eat all of them. Otherwise, he'll wake up being thirsty. And then we cut to later in the night and Billy ate all the biscuits, obviously. And so he wakes up thirsty. He goes downstairs for some water. One of the swings on the swing set outside of the kitchen in the backyard 
is swinging by itself ominously. We cut to Janet crying out in her sleep. She's saying, no, help, stop it, please. Margaret wakes and tells Janet to wake up. She's dreaming. Janet seems to stop and Margaret tries to go back to sleep, turning around. And suddenly there is a deep voice that says, this is my house. Margaret sits up to see that Janet is also sitting up in her bed and her head is turned to one side. Janet says in her own voice, no, no, it's not. Go away. Who are you? What are you doing here? In the man's voice, she then says, playing a game with Billy. And then in her normal voice, she says, leave Billy alone. Margaret asks Janet who she's talking to. Janet says, you have to go away. The man's voice says, you're the one trespassing. Margaret gets out of her bed and walks over to Janet, telling her to wake up. Janet says, I'll tell my mum if you don't stop. The man says, I'll break her neck. Janet says, no, please. The man says, dying with belly. Janet sobs, no. Margaret tries to comfort her and wake her up, then puts Janet back to sleep once she's calmed down, and then she gets back into her own bed. Suddenly, Janet is standing right by Margaret's bed and yelling, stay away from Billy, leave us alone, you hear me. Margaret cries out, asking Janet what she's doing, that no one is there. Then a man whispers, this is my house, from behind Margaret. She turns on the lamp and there's no one there. Janet calmly goes back to her bed by herself and Margaret leaves the lamp on. We cut to Billy making his way back upstairs. As he passes the living room, the figure of a man is sitting in the old armchair. Billy then stubs his foot on his toy fire truck. Uh, It turns on the siren on the truck. So he turns off the siren and then kicks the truck back into his tent. As he tries to get back into his bed, he hears the siren start, and then it turns off. He looks back at the tent, nothing is there. He does this twice more, and then he gets into bed. As he lays down, the truck comes down the hallway into the boys' room. The siren is on. He sits back up in his bed, and terrified, then he gets out of his bed, grabs the toy, and turns it back off. He then slowly approaches the tent, and I'm like, I don't know that I would do this today as an adult, Never mind as a child. Yeah. Can't see me doing this at all. Not even not even a little bit. No, I would find the closest matches and burn the fucking place down. Like what? No. He rolls the truck back into the tent and it rolls back out and a man screams. Billy goes to wake up his mom saying there's someone in his tent. She goes to check and obviously there's nothing in the tent, but she hears noises downstairs and finds Janet fast asleep in the armchair. Janet says she must have been sleepwalking again, and the mom says she has a fever and takes her upstairs saying she'll have to stay home from school tomorrow. We cut to the next day. Janet is home alone, watching TV as it pours outside. Suddenly, the channels start changing on their own. The remote is right in front of her on the coffee table. She switches the channel back and puts the remote beside her on the couch. Suddenly, the channels change again, and the remote is gone. She looks around and underneath the couch, but can't find the remote. The phone then rings, and she goes to answer it. It's her mom. As she's talking, she sees the remote is sitting on the armchair. She gets off the phone, and she takes the remote, cautiously heads back to the couch. 
She turns the channel back and puts the remote on the coffee table right in front of her. She sits back, looking distraught, and then she turns and peers over the back of the couch at the armchair. It's empty. She turns back to the TV, and it turns to static, and clearly Samara's coming to visit her. Clearly. <laughs> Sadly not for her. I, d- I don't know. Which is worse, Samara or Bill? I'm thinking Samara's worse. Yeah, probably. I mean, she ultimately kills you, so. Yeah, and you look all weird and deformed and just like, not good at all. <laughs> just, Bill isn't even, doesn't even want to be there. That's fair. We come to find out. She tries changing stations, then messing with the antenna. Finally, she starts smacking the TV until it turns off to reveal an old man sitting in the armchair behind her, and we hear him groaning. Janet turns to look at the chair, and it's empty, but the remote was floating as if someone had been holding it before and then falls down in front of the armchair. Janet turns her back to the TV, staring at the remote. We get a series of cuts between her and the chair until suddenly the old man is right behind her screaming, my house. This is the only jump scare that got me when I first saw this movie. I think another one got me later, but I can't remember right now which one it was. But this one, it's like they heard my criticism on the first one. Like, this one has jump scares all over the place from the beginning. Like, there's no slow roll on this one. It's just like, hey, jump scare, jump scare, jump scare. The slowest time in this one is Ed and Lorraine getting involved. It takes them an hour to show up. Yeah. But yeah, no, this was the only jump scare that actually got me because every other one was very predictable. Like for this one, I thought she was just going to be like, dun, dun, dun. Like this is a slow burn. I just watched that remote fall to the ground and like her just being terrified and like that was going to be the end of the scene is what I thought. And then it's like, nope, jump scare. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. didn't see that one coming. But yeah, Janice screams and falls back on the floor. The TV turns back on and she screams again. We cut to Lorraine alone in bed. She gets up and finds Ed painting. She asks, was he just inspired in the middle of the night? He says he wouldn't say that. He had this dream and saw this thing when he woke up. He couldn't get it out of his head. So he thought maybe painting it might help. He has painted the same sad mime nun Lorraine saw at Amityville. Lorraine's upset. Ed makes a quip saying he knows he's no Picasso, but he didn't think his painting was that bad. (laughs) Fun fact, did we know that Ed and Lorraine Warren, before they were ghost hunters, they were painters and they would go around offering to paint people's haunted houses? I did not know this. <laughs> yep. True facts, friends. True facts. In the room, you see the, the parents' house in there, too. Like the Conjuring yeah, house. Yeah, later. We do. In the little painting. Was oh, that in this scene? I thought it was in no, this scene. No, it's when Lorraine goes in there later. So Lorraine says they need to stop and no new cases. And Ed asks why. Because if it's about the shows and the publicity, they don't have to do that part. Judy then comes in to greet them at the kitchen table. Lorraine asks him to trust her, and then we cut to Janet trying tying herself to her bed. She tells Margaret it's in case she goes sleepwalking again. Not for nothing, this girl becomes very good at tying knots. She could find a very nice, lucrative career in her future life. Tying knots the way she does. It's, man, you just so, see how quick she does these crazy ass... Basically, she could be a sailor or a dominatrix is what you're saying. Pretty much, yeah, because I went more dominatrix because the way she's able to tie these knots around her wrists, around herself, like real specific, and just like while talking, I was like, wow, she's just really good at these knots, really quickly, really nice knots. I don't know who taught you how to do this, but this is something about this just isn't clicking right in my brain. I did not notice the knots being anything special, but okay. (laughs) Maybe it's just me. I don't know. I just I noticed the knots. 
Because it didn't look like a regular knot. It looked like she, the way she was setting up the rope and then put her hands in and did this weird thing and tied herself up. I'm like, all right, this is... Okay. You she go, just, girl. like, had a rigging book that she would refer to. Hey, however she learned, boy, I tell you, this. I know people that pay good money for that. Just get tied up that <laughs> way. Just saying. Oh, Lord. Okay. Margaret is wearing headphones to bed. We cut to Janet walking, oh, sorry, waking up after hitting her head on the bedroom floor. There are three loud pounding knocks at the door. Janet unties herself and goes to the door, but no one is there. She goes out into the hallway, calling for her mom or Johnny, but no one answers. She tries to turn on the lights, but they are not working. So she goes and she gets a flashlight. She heads downstairs and the armchair starts rocking on its own. She runs back into her room and closes the door, putting a chair underneath the knob to barricade it. She turns around in her bed, then hears a creaking. She turns to find the chair sitting beside her bed. The door is wide open. She hears creaking in the hall and turns on her flashlight. Footsteps come closer and closer, entering her room. We hear the man breathing as Janet hides under her covers. Suddenly, the covers are ripped off of her, and Janet screams, waking up Margaret. Janet screams, there's someone in the room. Margaret says there's no one, and both their beds start shaking immediately. Their screams wake their mom. She opens the door just as both girls run to say that there's someone in their room and that their beds are shaking up and down. Janet shows a bite mark on her shoulder and the mom goes to check their room. She finds the spirit board under Janet's bed and flips out. But just as she finishes telling them off, the man screams and moves the dresser, blocking the door. We then cut to the whole family running across the street to Mrs. S's house, which and we get like Chiron that says Nottingham residence. Mama Peg is telling Mrs. S what happened and Mrs. S's husband comes back and says he checked the whole house and there's nothing there. Their adorable Rottweiler is then ringing a bell mounted to the wall and Mrs. S explains that they trained him to ring it when he wants to go out. Billy lets the puppy out and alerts the adults to some police officers pulling up to their house. Mr. S called them, thinking someone must be in the house playing a prank on them. We cut to the officers looking all around the house and finding nothing. The female officer confirms that Mama Peggy didn't see the man and Mama Peggy agrees, but says that she doesn't think Janet's making it up. Not anymore. It's hard to believe when you're making it up when you just see a dresser fly across the room. Yeah. I mean, that would take a lot of strength on Janet's part and a lot of rigging. But as we've already discussed, she's really good at knots. So maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. Hey, good, good catch. I didn't think about that one. Yeah, she, <laughs> that jump rope is longer than I thought. <laughs> Mr. S says that there has to be some sort of explanation. Mm-hmm. And the male officer snaps that that's why they're there. Suddenly they hear heavy furniture moving upstairs and then they hear the knocking come down through the walls. The female officer asks for a chair from the kitchen. She stands up on the chair and listens to the walls and there's tapping inside them. She taps on the wall and she gets several thuds back. She then confirms that it's coming from inside the wall and gets down off the chair. The male officer suggests uh, it might be a mouse and then (laughs) Peggy says, big bloody mouse. Suddenly, the chair is dragged several feet right in front of them by an invisible force. Then it moves in a different direction to tuck itself underneath the kitchen table. We cut to the cops running out of the place, (laughs) saying there's nothing they can do but make a report. Mom Peggy is hysterical. The female officer offers to get her a priest to call on her. 
We cut to daytime. Lorraine and Judy are in their living room listening to the radio. Judy is making bead bracelets. <laughs> and there's one complete one sitting on the table. And it says Valak, B-A-L-A-K, on it. And there's also wooden letters on the bookshelf that say the same thing. And then so, and then the girl from Paranormal Activity shows up and shows her how to do beating even better. Listen, <laughs> Katie comes. Katie shows up. Now listen, uh, I'm going to show you how to bead. It's my one character trait that I had in these nine <laughs> movies. And I'm going to show you how to bead. Yeah, I came through the ghost dimension with your mom and... <laughs> I'm here now to teach you how to bead. Yes, come on. I have a cool little beading table. You just come through the ghost dimension with me to my house back in <laughs> 2006 or whatever. And yeah, we oh, can bead together. It's what I'm good at. It's what I do. Well, as Judy's beading through a shutter door that's behind her, a figure passes and Judy senses it. Lorraine is on the couch with her Bible. The radio cuts out and she looks up. Judy is gone. She gets up to look for her and she finds her in the hallway behind the shutter doors. Judy looks scared and she points down the hallway and asks, Mom, who's that? The sad mime nun is in their hallway looking at them. She turns and she walks into a room. Lorraine sends Judy back to the living room and follows the nun into their study. When she enters, there is a painting of the parent house, as we already mentioned, on an easel. And the painting of the nun is on the wall right by the door. She turns on the lamp and she looks at the painting. Then there's a loud choir music that starts playing from across the room on a tape player. She turns it off and looks around the study. Her back is to the nun painting when the lamp switches off. She turns and looks at the painting. She walks towards it. She flicks back on the lamp and turns to leave when the door slams shut in her face. The shutters and the windows close as well. She watches the parents' house painting shake on the easel. Then a shadow of the nun appears on the wall behind it and slowly walks the perimeter of the room until it gets to the painting. Hands come out from behind the painting, grabbing it. Then she jumps off the wall and starts charging at Lorraine. It's a pretty decent jump scare. They they drag yeah. it out a little bit too far is the only problem with it. They, they drag it out so far you see it coming. But if they, they sped this up a little bit, it would have been cool. That's what I mean. Like every jump scare except for the previous one with Bill, I they built it up too much that you knew a jump scare was coming. So you didn't feel as scared by the time the jump scare got there. Yeah, you might not know what it was going to happen, but you knew something was going to happen to, to jump at you. Yeah. So it was pretty cool. It just took a little way too long. And then she wakes up from her dream. The face on the painting changes and like it roars at her as it charges towards her. And Lorraine is thrown back into some boxes and she ends back up in the basement of the Amneville house. We hear more choir music playing and the nun peers out from behind a pillar. Lorraine screams, who are you? The nun roars again. We cut to Lorraine destroying her Bible and carving Valak's name into the pages. Apparently they aren't revealing that right now, but to me, like it was very clearly like a V and an A and we already have seen Valak's name two other times in the scene, so... But anyways, she is yelling in the ghost dimension basement, tell me who you are. Meanwhile, Judy is trying to wake her up slash stop her from destroying her Bible. Then ghost dimension Lorraine says, what do you want? The nun points and Lorraine looks as a pile of chairs knocks over again to reveal Ed. He says, I'm sorry, Lorraine. Then a giant wooden stake shoots through his back and out of his chest as he screams. Lorraine wakes and grabs Judy in a hug then looks at her and her destroyed Bible. For the record, the letters are still on the bookshelf behind her, so therefore they were not just part of the dream landscape. They are actually there. 
So Lorraine went out one day and bought the letters V-A-L-A-K and decided to artfully display them on her bookcase, but did not put together that this was the name of a demon. Like, why would you put that on your bookcase? I don't understand. Well, you know, I think that was more for us than for anybody else. Maybe my eagle eye people trying to look at this background. I understand, though, because it's like, hey, I'm a... Maybe she really likes those letters for no reason. You know what? I'm just gonna... It's just too much because because it's, like, wooden carved letters on a bookcase. It's... You know, it's too much. Like, it would have been one thing if it's like, oh, she's reading a newspaper article and every first line, like, has the letter, like, so that it spells out phallic. Or, you know what I mean? Like, smaller Easter eggs like that, that could be explained away. But she would have had to go out, either personally carve these letters or buy them. (laughs) And then set them up in her house to spell this name out. Exactly. Which makes zero sense. And also put them in this order, because it could have been like... Mm -hmm. Another word with these letters, which I'm not going to be able to move back. Calva. Calva. Could have been something else. She put it in that order. Yeah. And then also her daughter has made this bead bracelet. I don't know if that was only in the dream landscape because they don't show another close up of her bracelets. And then she also wrote it into her Bible. Like, and what? She never looked at the Bible again? Well, considering Katie was helping her do the bracelets, it's fine with that. Yeah, that was Katie who made that one. That was Katie made that one. So that's, there goes that. But like, my whole thing is with the Bible, right? you, you, you destroyed the Bible for whatever reason, writing these letters in a bunch of pages. Mm-hmm. Why would you take that Bible, with, the destroyed Bible with you? And why would you take the destroyed Bible with you and had never looked at it again? Why wouldn't you be like, I had this horrible vision of my husband being killed and this demon screaming at me. What did I do to my Bible? Let me look at these pages and see. Yeah, I would have looked at them. I probably wouldn't have been able to put two and two together, but I still would have looked. Well, like they're very clearly letters, right? So yeah. I don't, but like at the very least known that been like, I spelled out Valak. What, what is Valak? And like tried to think on that for a while as opposed to I just had another nightmare and I don't want to do cases anymore and I'm never going to read these pages of my Bible. I don't know. Me personally, I would have been like, were they specific pages of the Bible that have to do with something? Are they like, I would start like analyzing it way too much, but nope, not Lorraine. No, she just wants to put her head like underground and not even think about it. In this movie, nothing, nothing yeah. like she was in the first one. But in this one, like, you know what? I'm just going to, if I ignore it, it'll go away. Hey, maybe that's what they do. So they ignore it. It'll go away just like the mom with the washing machine. And if I ignore this flooding washing machine in my basement, it's just going to go away. Yeah. How how well does that work for Mama Peggy, though? Apparently it worked well enough because it didn't flood her house like it should have. But... <laughs> okay, fine, fine. We cut to England. A man jumps out of a green van calling after Mama Peggy as she passes. He introduces himself as Kent Allen from the news program Wide Angle. He's asking about the disturbances in their home that happened last week, he found out from a report the police filed. Mama Peggy says she'd rather not have her business broadcasted all over the, the television. He asked if it's still happening, because if it is, getting her side of the story out might be her best chance of finding help. We then cut to footage of Kent in front of their house. The Chiron says, Green Street, Enfield, London. Kent says, behind the doors of this seemingly normal house in Ponders End, North London, is a family living in a nightmare. We cut to a crossing guard named Hazel Short, and she's being interviewed. She says, 
through the window, she saw Janet levitating and being thrown about the room. And not jumping on her bed. It's not. No. Levitating. They kind of messed up here when they show the picture of her, like, levitating to make it match the picture of her of her levitating in the, like, the actual picture, I should say. They should have mm-hmm. like, they should have dressed it up, made it look like she was actually levitating for the, for the movie. And they also lean into at one point that, like, oh, she is faking it. Right? So they, they wanted to toe that line of, is it fake? Is it not fake? And also call back to the actual photos. Because I feel like people that are fans of this case, let's call it, would have been upset if the photos were very different from what they actually were. Yeah, that makes sense. And also they do have the skeptic in the movie, like the lady that just doesn't believe them from jump. Like from, mm-hmm. she's like, nope, I'm not believing you at all. This is all fake. This is all BS. Yeah, exactly. So we cut to a photographer. His name is Graham Morris. And he's saying that when they went back inside, there were toy Lego bricks flying all around the room. One hit him in the face so hard it drew blood. Then there's a constable Heaps, the female officer from before. She says that she saw a chair slide by itself across the floor a distance of several feet. She checked the chair for wires, but could find nothing to explain it. Kent then introduces Maurice Gross, an engineering consultant who has been investigating these claims for the Society of Physical Research. Maurice says, well, I don't think there's any doubt about it it at all. The sheer number of documented incidents in this case is absolutely staggering. Kent says, but Anita Gregory, a parapsychologist lecturer at the Polytechnic of North London, is not convinced. Anita comes on screen and she says, our principal characters here are all children, and children can be very ingenious pranksters. Kent explains that the center of all the paranormal occurrences is a 14 year old janet which her age every time it is mentioned is different is it that's great yes yes so he says here 14 year old then later we hear 11 year old and then like at the end of the movie the mom says how could a 12 year old (laughs) i'm like wait what how old is she for the record she in 1977 would have been 11 turning 12 within that year all right, so the 11, 12 makes sense. But the 14 does not. Well, the guy doesn't. Maybe they think it's the older daughter doing it. Would she have been 14? She would have been 13. So maybe 13, 14. Maybe that's what they thought it was. Maybe they thought it was the older one doing it and not the younger one. Yeah. I have no idea why he says 14-year-old here, but that that's what's said. Wow. Okay. So yeah, all the occurrences surround a 14-year-old Janet. They show an interview with Janet and Margaret. Janet says things have been getting worse since Mr. Gross started talking to it asking it to knock twice for yes and once for no. Kent wonders out loud what would happen if they started talking to it now. He asks if there's anybody there who wants to communicate. There's no answer. The cameraman behind Kent looks remarkably like Tobin Bell in a bad wig. Maybe it was. Okay, I, I did sc- not. I took a picture of it, and I'm going to send it to you on the chat right now. <clears throat> it so does. But it looks like <laughs> era to- Tobin Bell. So it would like if Tobin was around the 70s, which he probably was. But what if he had like a backwards <sighs> baseball cap? Would that have been better? <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. <laughs> Hello, fellow children. I am the final chapter jigsaw with my backwards baseball hat. <laughs> And hoodie or whatever he had on. I'll post that in the group for everyone. Let us know if you think that it's actually Tobin Bell making a cameo, because that's what I think. I think if it was, well, screw it. That'll go. Let's go that that it is. And even if they probably would have mentioned it, but I like it. Yeah, it's it's my dream that it's just Tobin Bell secretly there for a scene. I was going to say he made it through the ghost dimension too into this movie. Him and Katie, see, they traded. He gave her. He she gave him a friendship bracelet. That works. It's nice. So nice. (laughs) 
Janet starts moving her neck as if she's very uncomfortable and starts to look blankly at them. Ken asks her if she's all right, and she lets out this low growl. The lights start flickering. Kent continues to ask Janet, are you feeling all right? Simultaneously, two voices come out of Janet's mouth, her own and a deeper, more sinister voice. She says, stop calling me Janet. Kent asks, isn't that your name? Janet says, Janet's asleep and I'm talking. The voice is less and less like Janet's as it continues to go on and it sounds like the old man ghost. Kent says, well, what should I call you? Janet growls, then starts laughing really creepily. Maurice says, what is your name? Janet says, you don't belong here. Maurice introduces himself and asks who he's talking to now. Janet says, this is my home. Get out now. Maurice says, no, this is not your house. Now, what is your name? Janet says, knock, knock. Maurice says, very well. Who's there? Janet then says, Bill, Bill, Bill. And immediately I'm just like, Bill, nah, the science guy, Bill. <laughs> and me, I went the other way. Like, Man, you don't know how to knock my jokes. <laughs> nope. I just started singing the Bill, nah, the science guy theme song in my head automatically. <laughs> you were too old for that. But anyways. I was, yeah. I had Beekman was mine. And uh-huh. Mr. Wizard was it. Mr. Wizard, he's a Canadian guy. You, 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 I mean, you were, Maybe not. Nope. Too young for that. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, you weren't alive when I was watching Mr. Wizard because I was very, I was very young, and I think that was before my time. I think we, we were getting Canadian reruns because back when when Nickelodeon first started, they just bought a whole bunch of Canadian TV shows in the beginning, mm-hmm. Canadian kid shows. So Mr. Wizard was one of them. My favorite that you can do that on television was another one. I've heard of that one. Yeah, that one, that one's huge. That one's. Huge. I find clips on YouTube and like from the actual airings from the Canadian version and not the one, mm-hmm. I, not the version I saw. And it was cool. They would go to places in Canada and do stuff like out of the studio. Was, uh, so back to, back to the Conjuring 2. Uh, back to back Bill. Back to the Conjuring 2 and Bill, not the science guy. No. Because Maurice asked him who, and he's like, my name is Bill Wilkins. I'm 72 years old. Maurice asked, where do you come from? Janet says, I come from the grave. How did you die? Janet says, I went blind and I had a hemorrhage. I fell asleep and I died in the chair in the corner. Mama Peggy is covering her mouth, looking very concerned. Maurice asks, why have you come here? Janet chuckles and then says, I like to hear her screams and then laughs evilly. Mama Peggy says, why don't you just leave us alone? And Janet says, shut up, you old cow. And then she snaps back to being Janet. She says she's sorry, and she runs off. Mama Peggy runs after her. We then cut to the city streets in London. A newspaper stand or the Daily Mirror. The front page says, The House of Strange Happenings. The smaller title is Terror from Family. And then I couldn't, like, the rest of the title was kind of blocked off. But I think it said Spook Riddle, which doesn't make sense. We then cut back to Mrs. S's house, and she and Mama Peggy are setting up mattresses in her living room. Mama Peggy asks, what am I going to do? Mrs. S offers that she and the kids can stay as long as they need to. Billy comes in offering biscuits, and I'm like, this kid has two personality traits. He can stutter and he eats biscuits. That's (laughs) That's all we have for him. That's two more than the other kid has. That's fair. So across the street in their house, the zoetrope turns on by itself inside Billy's tent. The camera zooms in on the crooked man. He's walking along the inside of the toy and then he just disappears. We cut back to the Hodgson's clan sleeping in Mrs. S's living room when the dog bell rings twice. It wakes up Billy and he goes to check, but the dog is not there. He walks to the hall and he hears the bell again. 
but now it's coming from the back of the house. He can hear the dog growling. And so Billy opens up the back door for him and the pup is not the pup. He transforms into the horribly CGI'd Crooked Man. So with his umbrella handle, he trips Billy and starts singing his Crooked Man nursery rhyme. And then I have a note of, am I completely broken? This feels like some sort of like creepy part in a child movie to me that like would have scared me if I was six years old. But once I was eight, I would have been like, no, this isn't scary. That This is just weird. That's what the crooked man feels like. I think it's the CGI is over the, not really over the top so much. It doesn't fit the movie. Like It's like it, they pulled this character out from a different movie and threw him in this movie. At least the nun is practical effects for the most part. And then like enhanced by CGI. This is a full CGI thing and the CGI isn't great. And so it just feels like I've entered a children's movie for Halloween and this is the scary part. Because yeah, even if the nun has not the best makeup, it still fits the aesthetic of the movie. The Crooked Man does not. Yeah. So like it's, it's jarring when you see him. So it's like so you can't get into it because it doesn't belong as the, the, yeah. the movie you set up. I completely agree. I just it did not fit. I did not find it scary at all. I found it very. It wasn't even comically bad. It was just bad. <laughs> but anyway, so Billy runs in actual slow motion. Like if you pay attention, he is running in like a Baywatch slow mo down the beach kind of like like so fucking slow and the crooked man is walking after him at a normal pace still like slow because he's supposed to be creepy but at a normal pace and then billy runs into the living room waking everyone up as he screams about the crooked man mr and mrs s come downstairs and ask what the fuck is happening mama peggy says she doesn't know but thinks he's been wandering around then we hear the voice of the old man which sounds remarkably just like bill and it starts singing the crooked man nursery rhyme as they hear heavy footsteps walking down the hallway they see a shadow walking uh coming towards them and then it's revealed that it is janet and she is still has this old man Bill's voice. She says, the crooked man stepped forth and r- rang the crooked bell. And thus his crooked soul spiraled into a crooked hell. He murdered his crooked family and laughed a crooked laugh. And then the grate in front of the fireplace begins rattling and shaking. Janet roars, her eyes glow like the old man ghost did. And the grate flies across the room, smashing into the glass front of the cabinet. Janet roars again and all the light bulbs burst in the lamps. Janet then falls to the floor and starts twitching. Mama Peggy runs to her. Janet is foaming at the mouth and Peggy screams for someone to get an ambulance and it echoes like the horrible cheesy film this is. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, We then cut to a priest. He's playing an audio recording of Janet slash Bill talking with Maurice to Ed and Lorraine. The priest asks, what do you make of the voice? Ed says, he sounds confused. Is he senile? The priest says, the voice on this tape is coming from an 11-year-old girl. Yay for a new age for Janet. Lorraine asks if the family has reached out to the church for help. The priest says yes, but they have been reluctant to get involved as the case has turned into a media circus. And they're calling it the... England's version of the Amniaville. Lorraine asks if he's afraid it's a hoax, and he says that the church's ability to help people depends on its reputation. And Jackie has a huge scoff here. (laughs) (laughs) It's enormous. Oh, like, your reputation shit. But anyways... (laughs) 
So the priest asks them to fly to London for three days to act as the church's unofficial eyes and ears. Now, you don't have to do anything. If it is a hoax, you just turn around and leave. But if it's not, then there is a family in London that desperately needs our help. Ed walks the priest out and tells Lorraine he told him that they would talk about it. Lorraine says there's nothing to talk about. (laughs) Then I read the note. And dear God, am I already an hour into this movie and they're only just finding out about this case? Yes. It's forever to get here. Yep. Ed argues that there's never been a case or a family that they have refused to help. Lorraine says she had a vision in Amityville, the same one she had seven years ago. We flash back to the French-Canadian, not the British, Maurice, and his exorcism. And she says, I had a premonition of your death. Ed asks, that's why you locked yourself away for eight days? You saw my death? And she said, you've seen it too. The demon in your painting is real. We have both seen the same inhuman spirit. It's a warning. If we keep doing this, you're going to die. Ed says her visions are a gift from God. And if he's showing her his death, then he's doing it for a reason. Maybe you're meant to prevent it from happening. Lorraine reluctantly agrees, saying Ed needs to promise they're only there to observe and that if anything turns uh, out dangerous in any way, they're going to tell the church and they're going to get out of there. We then cut to London. A church choir is singing as British Maurice picks up the Warrens from Union Station. He reveals they plan on staying at the Hodgson's house. They pull up to the house and Maurice is, so he's going on about the impressive stuff they have managed to capture. Maurice introduces the Warrens to Mr. S and Mama Peggy, who are standing on the front stoop. Mr. S goes off and Peggy tells him to tell the kids. She says hello. Peggy lets them all in, explaining that it's just her and Janet staying in this house now, while the other kids stay with Mr. and Mrs. S. Peggy opens a door that is chained shut to the radiator. Weird question. Mm -hmm. Any reason why they're staying in the house? Because Janet's possessed and they don't want... (laughs) her fucking things up at the S's house, I'm assuming. Did she mess things up at the S's house? Yeah, that was the whole crooked man situation was at the S's house. Oh, yeah. yeah, but it was with the boy, wasn't it? Was it with Stuttering Standing? Or was it with the girl? But then it turned out that it was Janet who yeah. was the crooked man and she came and she's like, oh, crooked man, this, that, whatever, and that's right, that's right, that's right. right into a cabinet. So they're and like... They, and then they keep her at the house. Like, All right, you, this girl's gotta go, the rest can stay. Exactly. And it's like these other three kids matter to this movie, so whatever. <laughs> Precisely. Uh, yeah, so Peggy's opening up the girl's room, and it's chained to the radiator so that the door stays shut, and they don't use the do- the room anymore. Maurice explains that most of the activities centered around that room, and they were afraid that someone was going to get hurt. Ed says he's heard Janet levitated. Did that happen in this room? Maurice says yes, more than once. They have photographs. The room is trashed and covered with crosses all over the walls. Peggy explains that neighbors donated the crosses and she hung them up, hoping it would stop things from moving around. It didn't work. They can hear things moving all night long. They exit the room and Peggy locks it behind them. Rain goes into the backyard and introduces herself to Janet, saying her mom told her about what's been going on and she's here to help. She asks Janet if she wants to talk about it. Janet doesn't answer her. Lorraine then tells her a story about seeing an angel 
at the hospital when she was a child. No one believed her, but she knew it was real. She tells her that she knows what it's like to lose friends because you're different. But she also knows that it only takes one person to make all the difference. Janet asks how she knew she could trust the people when she did decide to open up. Lorraine says she didn't and she got hurt, but finally she found the one who believed her and she married him. Oh, sweet story. No. Janet smiles at her, then says she's so tired, she can't sleep here. She used to go to the medical room at school, and they would let her sleep there because she was so worn out. But now she can't even do that. Everyone's afraid of her. She's got no friends and no place she can go. It makes her feel like she's not normal. Lorraine tells her that whatever is doing this to her wants her to feel this way because that's what makes it stronger. Peggy shows Ed the armchair saying when it all started, Janet would wake up there. And Marie says this is where she said Bill Wilkins died. Ed asks where they got the chair and Peggy says her ex bought all the furniture with the house when they moved in. And then like we keep on getting these like weird little comedic vignettes with Ed throughout this movie, which half of me appreciates. Half of me is like, I don't know if this fits with the theme of the movie, but okay. This is one of them. Ed asks if her ex is still in the picture. She says no. He says any chance of a reconciliation. And she says he had twins with a woman from around the corner. And Ed says, so I'm going to take that as a no. She's like, yeah, (laughs) it's been a lot to deal with. And he took all of the music the day he left. Ed says, I know it must feel like that sometimes. And she's like, no, I mean, he took all the records. The kids used to love listening to his Elvis collection. Oh, she's saying that like the whole timing's awful with everything happening. Ed says that's not a coincidence. Negative energies feed off of distress. Jackie has the note of, yeah, just ask my ex. <laughs> Anyways. Lorraine asks Janet if she knows when the voice is going to speak. Janet says sometimes. And Lorraine asks, when it does, does it feel like it's coming from inside of you? No, it's more like it's coming from behind me, like I'm being used. Lorraine asks if it ever says things just to Janet. She nods and she says, it said it wants to hurt you. Lorraine asks when it said that. Janet says, right now. Spooky. Spooky. So spooky. We cut to a storm outside. Inside, Janet sits in the armchair as Lorraine pours her a glass of water. Ed explains they need her to prove she isn't making the voice, so if she holds water in her mouth, they can show the church it's not some form of ventriloquism. Ed starts an audio recording. He says, it's December 21st, 1977. This is Ed and Lorraine Warren sitting with Peggy and Janet Hodgson. Also present is Maurice Gross. He instructs Janet to drink the water. Then he says, if there is something here that would like to communicate with us, we're all ears. Speak up. What do you want with this girl and her family? There's silence. Then Janet spits out the water and she says that it says it won't speak with everyone looking at her. Marie says that's strange. It hasn't been shy about talking up until now. Ed offers for them all to turn around with their backs to Janet. They turn around, but Ed makes sure Janet drinks the water first. Ed then says, what do you think, Bill? We've given you your privacy, so come out and talk to us. There's heavy breathing, and then the lights begin to flicker. 
There's a small rattling sound in the walls. There's growling. And then we hear, here I come. Ed says, am I talking to the spirit that is oppressing this family? Bill says, is that what I am? Is that what I'm doing? Ed says, yes. And I've come to put a stop to it. Do you know who I am? Bill says, Ed. Eddie. Edward. Ed says, Ed is fine. Bill says, your father called you Edward. Ed says, not true. My father called me Ed, just like everyone else. Bill laughs and roars. Ed says, come on, Bill, you're not a psychiatrist and I'm not here to talk about my father. Let's get down to business. To defeat the Huns. Sorry. (laughs) Mulan references. Okay. (laughs) He says, what do you say? Why don't you just leave these people alone? The out of focus Janet, who's sitting in the chair behind Ed, who is in focus, slowly begins to look more and more like Bill. Bill says, because this is my house. Ed says, it's not your house. Bill says, yes, it is. I come here to see my family, but they're not here now. Ed says, that's because you're dead. If your family did live here, they're long gone now. Bill says, where are they? Ed says, I don't know. If I did, maybe I could help you. Bill says, I don't need your help. Ed then says, then why don't you just move on? Bill says, I don't believe in that. Ed says, why not? What would be so wrong with going to heaven? Bill says, I am not a heaven man. I have got news for you, Bill. You see, I don't care what you believe in. You see this? He holds up his cross necklace. Bill groans demonically. Bill says, help it let go. Help it let go. The out of focus figure changes back to Janet and the room becomes brighter. Ed turns to see Janet as she spits out a mouthful of water. They all look concerned. This is the one thing about this part that I don't, not that I don't get. The thing about this part is like they, these people that live doing this, you know, per the movie, because it's real in the, mo- in the movie, that's basically telling you that it's not Bill doing anything. Like, oh, it let go. Like, like help. Like, he's asking for help at this moment, right? Here. And, and, like, they don't acknowledge it at all till way later. Trying to play devil's advocate here. Maybe they were like, oh, it's only saying help when we hold up a cross because, like, it doesn't want to be confronted with Christianity. <laughs> I don't know. Because if it were that, it'd be like, yo, like, stop. It hurts. Go away. It burns. Stop. Here, like, help. It let go. It let go. Like, it's not just saying help. It's yeah i agree like but this is the same group of people that have visions write things in their bibles and just continue to carry around the bible but never read what they wrote so they aren't really good at putting two and two together until they absolutely have to which i'll get into later <laughs> um okay. i'm watching the movie granted at this point i know what the twist of the movie is because mm-hmm. i just know I even even though i hadn't finished watching it before i still had heard what it was so yeah. i'm like all right i know what's but still if i was like all right if I, this had happened in that situation they should still be asking what let go yeah at least even if they don't get to the twist that oh he's being used by another spirit or whatever like all right what let go what are you talking about Bill? But that would make too much sense for the Warrens. Way too much. Uh, Okay, so we cut to night. Ed asks Lorraine if she is sensing a presence. Lorraine says the opposite. She's not sensing anything. They are getting ready to sleep in the boys' room, and Ed is saying it could be a hysterical neurosis. That would explain multiple personalities and hallucinations. Lorraine says that doesn't feel right either. Uh, Her heart is telling her to believe them. She heard the voice, but all she can sense is her own fear. Can't seem to see beyond that. Ed says he doesn't think that he can sleep so far away from the rain. And she says, it'll give you something to look forward to when we get back home. 
Ed's always trying to get some. We then cut to Janet tying herself to the bed. She tells her mom it helps her sleep. Then she tells her mom she didn't smoke at school with Camilla. And the mom apologizes for not believing her. Everyone is asleep, but someone is whistling this old man. Then Janet wakes up, stuck to the living room ceiling. She can see Bill in his chair, rocking back and forth. Suddenly he stops and he gets up, whistling as he walks up the stairs. She still is against the ceiling and the skipping rope is tied to her arm. His footsteps are right above her as she raises her arms from the floor with, and with a great pull, Bill brings her through the ceiling with the rope. How do I explain this? Not actually through the ceiling. She does not break through the ceiling. Just like... She teleports with the rope. So Janet ends up inside the locked room. One by one, the crosses turn upside down on the walls and Janet turns and watches each one until Bill jumps out at her from a dark corner. Mama Peggy wakes up to find her bed empty and she hears Janet screaming from the locked room. She grabs the chain. Oh, she runs over to the room. She grabs the chains and she's shaking them. And I'm like, because that's going to help. And she gets the door open ajar, but the chains are still on it. So she can't open it any more than that. Janet pleads with her to get her out. There's someone in there. An old hand covers Janet's mouth and the mom sees Bill's face growling. Ed and Lorraine come out and Peggy tells them someone's got Janet and she can't get the door open. Ed tells her to go get the key. There are chains. Yeah, which she should have done it from the beginning. I'm like, all right. Somehow this door can't open that I've chained closed to not open. I don't know why. I'm just going to pull on it. Yeah. I'm just like, I, it really annoyed me that the mom was this dumb that it was like, I'm the one who put these chains here. I'm the one who has the lock here. I'm the only one who knows where the key is, but I'm going to freak out and be like, why doesn't this door open? Like, come on. Give me a break. Give me a break. Yeah, I have that Kit Kat bar. Mmm, yum. Delicious. Uh, Even though I'm, I'm, I'm vehemently against the thin Kit Kats that, that are out now, I don't know the point of it. There's thin ones. I'm against yeah, the are. thick ones. Oh no, I like the thick. The, the one that's just the one big Kit Kat thing is like huge. Yeah, oh, I love that one. No, I'm the against that one. Thing. I like the like original four sticks Kit Kat. And oh, for Christmas, what we we get like there's like a four pack. It would come their color. You know, they have dark chocolate Kit Kat, white chocolate Kit Kat, and regular Kit Kat. So fancy. No, the white chocolate ones are so good. <laughs> I just like white chocolate, so that's. I used to really like white chocolate. I like I love dark chocolate now. Like so, like my palate's completely changed. I used to love white chocolate because it's sweeter, and now I'm like, no, I like the bitterness of dark chocolate. Oh, that'd be great because if I get if you ever come and we get one of those big packs because they're like the little ones, mm-hmm. you know, they're like just like the the fun size ones. Yeah, I'll give you all the dark chocolate ones. I'll have all the white chocolate ones, and we'll split the rest. Excellent, it's a deal. <laughs> <laughs> See, it, works. it works. See, you know, it works perfectly. We balance each other out. All right, so. Lorraine can see Janet through the crack of the door and she's being choked by the curtains. Peggy comes with the key. Ed opens the door and rescues Janet from the curtains. Peggy is saying that she saw someone in there and all the crosses are now the right way up, but one of them is rocking on the wall. The Warrens look skeptical. We cut to a pub. Ed and Lorraine are sitting down with Maurice, Graham, and Anita. Graham shows them a photo of the bite mark on Janet's shoulder. And then he says that it was a very distinct bite mark. It's missing two teeth. It's adult size, so it's too large for any of the kids to have done it. 
Ed asks if he thinks it was the spirit, and Maurice says he tracked down the owner whose father lived there, and his father was named William Wilkins. He died of a hemorrhage of the brain in the chair in the living room. So everything she said was true. Anita says, but that's all public information. She could have heard that story from the neighbor. Lorraine asks about the teleportation, and Anita says it's fake, just like the levitation. Graham has pictures taken by a remote control camera, and he says that this is the girls levitating, but it just looks like the girls are jumping in the air off of the beds. And Ed says as much, saying he's not convinced. Like, this movie's doing weird things with it. Like, playing it straight, like, it actually happened, but it's also giving you enough to make you think that they're faking it. Yeah, because I'm a ghost believer. My thing is that I think that it's somewhere in the middle. Maybe they had one or two creepy things happen in this house, but all the, like, stuff that centers around the girl talking as Bill and levitating and all that bullshit, that was just, like, them taking the piss, you know? Yeah, I think maybe some stuff happened then, they decided to play around with it, and things got out of hand. And the next thing they know, they're on TV, and the cops are coming over, and all this stuff is happening. Anyways... Sod's not convinced. He's not even convinced about the teleportation from last night. And Maurice argues that the door was locked from the outside. And then there's the whole voice thing. Anita says that Janet made the voice for the first time when she was being filmed by TV cameras. And she couldn't even do it with water in the mouth while they were looking at her. So Anita says a Welsh family had her going the year before that they were possessed by demons. And she's like, I don't know what's worse, the demons or the people who prey on our willingness to believe in them. Lorraine, cold stone face, is just like, the demons are worse. Like, way worse. You have no idea. Like, <laughs> yeah. um, just ask our friend the teddy bear. But anyways. Exactly, yeah. Those pool vacuums are no joke. Jesus. No. So Anita says that they must admit the whole thing is suspicious. Maurice asks, what about Peggy? Anita says, oh, she's just using the whole thing as an excuse to get better housing from the council. She's already applied. Ed says he's not saying it's a hoax. Sometimes what they do require is a leap of faith to believe when nobody else will. They say they believe them, but the church can't do anything without proof. Maurice offers to get some video equipment, and Lorraine says, in the meantime, they'll spend some time with Peggy and the kids because they need some to become a family again or something like that. This is the one thing I did like that they, they do in this movie, and that they don't do in the other one. I guess they kind of do it in the first one. It's like the thing Lorraine told the girl that's being haunted, um, mm-hmm. Becky, or whatever her name is, um, in the first one. <laughs> Janet, oh, yes. No, 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 in this one, this one. Uh, Janet, like, okay. oh, it wants you um, beat up and weak. That's how it controls you, or whatever, or whatever she said. And they mm-hmm. come here, they try to make the house into a home. You know, they come, you know, he sings it's all the song. They try to fix things up to make them happy in their house. That way, the demon doesn't have as much power. It doesn't end up working, but I still like the idea. Okay. You're, I guess, you're a sweeter sentiment than me. I fucking hated this. I thought it was stupid. I'm like, oh, yeah. What we've really come here to do is not defeat demons, but, you know, to raise people's spirits. And we're the one thing in this world that can make this family a family again, because they just needed a caring male presence here who sings them Elvis songs. 
my whole thing was like, they're all sad because their dad left them. He took all the music with them. So he's going to bring a little bit of joy into the house. That way the demon doesn't get so strong. It's the way I took it. Maybe I was wrong with it. But that's just the way I said, oh, I know it's a pretty cool connection. I'm sure that's what they meant from it. I was just like, this is fucking cheesy bullshit. And I doubt that the real Warrens ever did anything like this. Fuck that. <laughs> oh, I, I doubt they ever did anything like that ever. But I still liked it in the movie. And the one time that one of the kids tries to do it, he gets stabbed for his... <laughs> But anyway, so we cut to the kids and the Warrens coming into the house and Ed has bought them an Elvis record. The kids all hug and Ed starts trying to put on the record. Lorraine asks if any of them have been picked on by a bully. They say that Billy has been picked on by a kid at school named Pete. Lorraine asks what Billy does when that happens. And he says, my family like sticks up for me. Ed says, good, because the spirit in this house is a lot like that bully. And he's got it in for Janet. So you stick up for her the same way that they stick up for you. Ed then says the record player is broken. But they're going to have music in there one way or another. Suddenly, a guitar that has never been there before and never will be again is in the corner. He asks whose guitar it is. Margaret said that it was her dad's, but he left it for her. So Ed grabs it and he says he's rusty, so don't laugh. Then the guitar is magically perfectly tuned to the key that he needs. They should have had him try at least to tune it a little bit. At least a little bit. No, but it's just perfectly tuned. And we've never seen it before and we'll never see it again. (laughs) But the magical guitar appears. And he starts playing Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis. Mm -hmm. And he imitates Elvis's voice for a bit. But then he just does his normal Patrick Wilson voice. And personal note, I hate in tvs and movies when somebody starts singing and serenading someone like it just it makes me cringe so much every time no matter what the context is i hate it so much i will fast forward it sometimes because i just can't stand it he wasn't exactly serenading somebody he was more just singing i just find it so cringy and cheesy and you know secondhand embarrassment that you get from certain mm-hmm. i get secondhand embarrassment anytime like a character starts singing For no reason in a thing. Oh god, I hate it so much. (laughs) So, I hate this scene. And he continues to sing as we get a montage of them setting up ghost investigation bullshit, cameras, whatever. Ed has all the kids sing along with him, and Lorraine is in the doorway crying. We then cut to Ed trying out the new quote-unquote camera that's like an 80s style with like, it still has to take a VHS in it, and it's huge and bulky to us today. And he proclaims how small and light it is. Gotta have the joke, like, wow, this is so light. Yeah, like, that's what I mean about, like, they just have all these parts where it's, like, cutaway scenes of, like, Ed just being comedic for no reason. I think Patrick Wilson can't help it. You know, he's just... He's too good of a guy. Yeah. We then cut to Ed fixing their dripping tap and Janet is asking him why he helps people like them. Ed says when he was a kid, there was something under his bed, but that something was real. It grabbed him by his hand and yanked him right to the floor. It was too dark to see anything under there. So he ran. His dad took him back and told him he had to face his fears. 
Then he remembered a nun told him, God will be there for all who need. So he grabbed his crucifix and his cross necklace that he always wears out of his nightstand, and he told whatever it was under the bed that it better leave or God would kick its butt. He says his dad didn't believe him, and it took him years to find someone who did. And then Janet chimes in with, and then you married her. And Ed smiles and says, so you've heard this story before. Peggy then comes in and tells and, and tells her that he fixed the tap. He also fixed her closet door, and he can go take a look at their washing machine. Peggy says she couldn't ask him to do that. It's a disaster down there. Ed says, come on, how bad could it be? Cut to the basement that we've been referring to this whole time podcast. That is completely some merged in feet of water. When I thought it was going to be a mess, I was like, oh, it's probably just still messed up because it looked like a real dank dungeon of a basement anyway. <laughs> but no, not that it has been flooding for four months. Yeah, and just, exactly. <laughs> and Ed's just like, bloody hell. Oh, it's so hilarious. I still can't get over how they didn't do anything about this thing flooding for months. Jeff is very concerned. I am. It's, you know, one of those things. Uh, uh, took me out of the movie. That little thing took me out of the movie for a while. I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Okay, well, we cut to Lorraine outside talking to Maurice. He's saying it would be really something if they could get proof of life after death. It would be historic. Lorraine asks if that's why he's doing this. This isn't a laboratory. It's someone's house. And I think helping that family is the only thing that matters. Maurice apologizes and explains his daughter died in a car crash a few years ago. And afterwards, he started to experience things and thought she was trying to communicate with him. And it would be it would help if he knew that she was there out there somewhere. We cut to Ed and Peggy in the basement. Ed can see the water is coming from deep within the basement from a pipe. So he heads down into the water to fix it. Water is a little deeper than his knees, like kind of like almost mid thigh. He can hear the children playing overhead. And as I mentioned before, it's just like bare floorboards above his head. There's nothing else. Ed starts tightening the joint on a pipe. And then behind him, we see Bill standing further in the basement. He stands up from the water. Peggy sees it, but she's not sure what it is. So she gets closer and closer trying to point the flashlight at whatever is behind Ed. And then she realizes what it is and tells Ed there's something behind him. And as Ed turns, it vanishes. When he turns to look at Peggy, Peggy looks down and sees Bill's face in the water right beside her. He screams and then his hand shoots out and grabs her hand, uh, holding the, the hand that was holding the flashlight. Then he starts pulling her under the water. Ed rescues her and she shows him a bite mark on her arm. Ed reaches into the water and finds a set of dentures that have only two teeth on them. They match it up with the bite mark on her arm. They cut. Yeah, but the way it matches up is different. Like it, the teeth on. On the dentures is where she wasn't bit on her arm. Yeah, exactly. Because he bit her without his dentures in, so it left a gap. A gap. So they fill in the gap with the two teeth of the dentures. All right, and this is another question. I, I love how my questions come like maybe ten minutes before they should. But anyway, <laughs> Patrick Wilson was there for this, right? Mm-hmm. And still later, when they show when they show that this is a scam, he's like, "There's lying to me. I'm leaving." But how does he explain the things? How do they explain the things that they did see happening? So they and still they like, try to leave because this. He does say at one point that it's just that the only hard evidence that they have is a video of Janet faking an event, and that's enough for the church to turn their back. Okay. So even, like, when they're leaving, so we'll get into, like, the details, I guess, when it comes, but basically um, mm. it's Anita that's 
all this is fake it's all fake blah 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 blah. and then like ed like steps in and he's like "Mm, she did fake that one thing and peggy's like get out get the fuck out of my house so they didn't yeah but he could be like at that point like she does do that because when he when she's like you're still not gonna help he's like nah I ain't helping you, liar. And that's when she goes, get out, get out. And he doesn't say, like, no, I'm not going to help you. He's just, she doesn't say, yes, I'm going to help you. He just is like, well, she did fake this. So, you know. Yeah, which she did. So she did. he's just saying like, yeah, no. that that did happen. And then Peggy's just offended and tells them to get the fuck out. I'm sure I have more information written somewhere in my notes. and <laughs> We can go over it as it comes. But yeah, yeah, give me 15 minutes to come up with arguments and try to defend okay, myself. Okay, okay, excellent. Um, sounds good. <laughs> Uh, we cut to the kids. They're trimming the tree in the living room. Sorry, trimming the Christmas tree. Janet hears scraping noise from the kitchen and she starts breathing heavily. She's looking in fear down the hallway into the kitchen. Margaret comes over and asks what's wrong. Janet asks if she sees it. Margaret asks what? Janet says in the kitchen, it's playing with the knives hiding in the dark. Johnny heads into the kitchen and Janet yells at him to not go. Johnny says Ed told them that they can't let it bully them. He then goes into the kitchen and he finds all the knives are stabbed into the kitchen table at odd angles. Margaret screams and says that Janet's gone. Johnny hears a knife scrape and turns to see that Janet is crouching hunched over on the hearth of the fireplace in the kitchen. All the kids start screaming, and Ed and Peggy go running upstairs to check on them. A chair flies across the room, smashing things as they enter the house. Then the door to the kitchen slams shut in front of them, closing them off from the kitchen. They run down the hall and into the living room. Lorraine runs into, asking what's happening. Margaret is crying that Johnny's in there as furniture and kitchen things are being thrown all about the kitchen. They run towards the open door and it slams shut on them by itself again. Ed breaks open the door and finds the kitchen completely trashed and apparently empty. They then find Johnny crying in a cupboard slash pantry. And they then Maurice picks up this metal serving spoon that's been bent in half among all the other rubble. Lorraine asks, where's Janet? And the new ghost investigator investigator dude, like the English Drew, I guess we'll call him. <laughs> yeah, babe, very much. This is broad Drew in, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, he uses his like fancy microphone recording machine to try to like pick up noises and look for her. He hears Bill's moans in the walls, and then he finds Janet wrapped around some pipes inside of the wall, and her limbs are at odd angles. And was it just me, or did her hands look like a man's hands it did yeah so anyways she's growling ed presents his cross again and bill slash janet groans me won't me me then collapses (laughs) (laughs) collapses ed gets her out of the wall maurice asks how she got in there Peggy is comforting janet now on the couch and margaret is comforting comforting johnny beside her Maurice and the Warrens are looking on in concern. Anita comes in and she gets all the investigators to gather together in the hallway and tells them she's faking it. I have proof. She then takes them outside to her truck and she plays them a tape. Um, <laughs> I wrote she play, plays them a tape and then I wrote a joke for myself, but I wrote it so poorly that I couldn't read my joke for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. But I caught it. OK, she plays them a tape. And then at the end of it, they get a phone call that says seven days. <laughs> that was my joke. <laughs> OK. 
No, on the tape, Janet is trashing in the kitchen. She even bends the spoon in half, throws the table against the wall. She. We then cut to them telling Peggy, who is adamant that Janet didn't make it up. She has seen things for herself. Anita coolly tells her that Janet was caught red-handed faking an event. Peggy protests more, saying it's impossible for a 12-year-old girl, and I'm put in brackets, what age is she? <laughs> How old is this girl or not? <sighs> so it's impossible for a 12-year-old girl to have thrown a table clear across the room Anita says it's over and for the sake of Peggy's daughter, she should really stop making this harder. Janet is sobbing. Anita accuses Peggy of helping pull off all the cons. Peggy gets super pissed and gets up into her face and is like, how dare you? You think I put her up to this? What about the police? You think they're in on it too? Ed steps in, stopping her from yelling at Anita and Peggy pleads with him. You believe us, don't you? Ed says, we want to help, but the church will take one look at that video and they'll be that will be the end of it. They want to distance themselves from anything that remotely resembles a hoax. So Peggy tells them all to leave. So that's why. He could have been like, because like, you want to help. Like, we want to help. He's like, listen, we're still going to help. But the church is like, we're on our, like in the first one, the, the church is on, they're not going to be here in time. So we got to handle this ourselves. We could have done something along those lines, what I was thinking, but. But they still, like, they had been reaching out to the church to approve the exorcism and all this stuff, right? Like, so in their minds, they are workers of the church and him doing that exorcism was just for the sake of time. It wasn't. Because yeah, it yeah, because the church, whatever the church is going to do is going to take too long. Yeah, exactly. Versus the church does not approve of this. I I just think the things they experience or they saw themselves should have carried a little bit more weight with them. I understand the church not getting involved, especially after that tape showing up. But like Ed and Lorraine should have still been, you know, hey, the church is out because this tape is going to take the church out. But we're still here. You know, something like that. Yeah, I I agree with you. But Peggy also tells them to get out of her house. And she's very angry once he says that the church is going to be out because it looks like a hoax. So, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, So everyone is outside. They're leaving and packing up. Maurice is asking Lorraine if she could reach out to the spirit and make contact. Lorraine says she can't. She's already tried and she doesn't sense anything here. Mr. S is pissed saying, so that's it. You hold out a lifeline to them and then you just throw it away. He's like, yep, pretty much. (laughs) Yeah, it says uh, they don't like it any more than Mr. S does. And they'll tell the church about everything they've seen. But the only piece of concrete evidence they have is a video of Janet faking an incident. So here again, he's saying that like they have seen other things. So they'll tell the church about that. Anyways, Maurice is arguing that there have been dozens of real incidents and just because she faked it this once doesn't change the fact. And Ed cuts him off. He's like, no, it changes everything. Ed tells Maurice he's done a good being there for the family when no one else was. Maurice thanks him, but then throws his own words back at him, saying, sometimes you need to take a leap of faith and believe when no one else will. Janet is standing in the window, looking at the Warrens with tears in her eyes. Ed and Lorraine are uh, get into Mr. S's car and he drives them away. Lorraine is saying as they're in the car that this doesn't feel right. And Ed says he knows. Mr. S then shakes their hands as they board the train. 
A storm starts up as Janet stares out the window. Margaret and Billy join her on the couch. Margaret asks Janet if she really did wreck the kitchen and all of that. Billy asks why. And Janet says it said it would kill all of them if she didn't make them leave. On the train, Lorraine is asking Ed, doesn't it seem convenient that she happened to fake an incident in the one room in the house they had a camera pointed at? Ed agrees, and as he's putting his bags up on the luggage rack, two tapes fall out of the bag and clatter to the floor, and they form an X crossing the two tapes. He's taken aback, and then he asks Lorraine to help him set up the tape recorders. He winds the tapes and then hands over one to Lorraine and takes the other one himself and hooks it up to the tape recorder as she loads the other one. He asks her, do you remember those strange garbled messages we got from Janet? You know, from Bill? There were two of them, right? He plays the first one, and it's Bill saying, help it, let go, help it, let go. We cut back to Ed holding up his cross with Bill slash Janet sitting in the armchair, and Ed stops the tape. We thought he was referring to himself, right? Listen to the second one. It's now Bill saying, me, won't, me, won't, me. He stops the tapes and rewinds them, then plays them at the same time. Now it says, help me, it won't let me go. Help me, it won't let me go. Lorraine looks concerned, and this, and then she is thrown back into her seat. We cut away to Bill sitting in his armchair, breathing through a mask hooked up to an oxygen tank. Lorraine approaches him. Bill takes down the mask and says, I come here to see my family, but they're not here now. I think I'd like to go now, but I can't. Lorraine asks why not. Bill says, it wants her so badly it almost had her. Lorraine says, tell me how to stop it. Bill says, I'm given and I'm taken. I was there at your first breath. You didn't ask for me, but I'll follow you till death. Lorraine says, wait, I don't understand. Please, I... A black claw-like hand shoots out and grabs Bill's shoulder. It's the nun. She shrieks, her mouth looking like an uber vamp from Fright Night with all the shark teeth. Oh yeah, it does. (laughs) And then Lorraine comes to on the train. Her nose is bleeding. Lorraine says, the old man's spirit is just a pawn. He's been enslaved to where he's to weaken Janet's will. Ed asks, enslaved by who? Lorraine says, something inhuman. Something that's taken a blasphemous form to attack my faith. There is a demonic presence in that house. You need to get Vic, who's Mr. S, before he leaves. We need to go back. Then we cut to Mama Peggy. She's sweeping up the mess from the kitchen and sobbing. She then hears a crash from the next room and Margaret shrieking. She runs over to find Margaret and Janet levitating. Janet has demonic eyes and is evilly laughing. Peggy screams, for God's sake, leave us alone. Margaret is then thrown into a wall and falls to the ground. Janet lands on her feet and stares at her mother and sister coldly. Mom Peggy gathers up all the non-possessed children <laughs> and tells them, <laughs> tell them to get out of the house. Yeah, tells them to get out of the house. And they all run out to the front door as Janet's eyes follow them. Mama Peggy tells the kids to go to Mrs. S's and she then tries to get back into the house, saying that she can't leave Janet, but the door slams shut. Mr. S is weaving in and out of traffic 
graphic saying he doesn't get it. First you say there was no evil, now you say there is. Ed says Lorraine's sight was blocked by an inhumane spirit. Lorraine says the old man's spirit couldn't break through until we we left that house. I'm like, okay, sounds like some bullshit, on, but there's okay. Rules. There's rules to it, apparently, but all right, fine. Okay. Ed says everything we've experienced has been a manifestation of the demonic. The old man, the crooked man, they're just facades trying to keep us from seeing the real evil in the house. Lorraine says, in my vision, he wanted to help me, but he was too afraid, and he kept speaking in a kind of riddle. Something like... I am given and I am taken. I was there at your first breath. You didn't ask for me, but I will follow you until your death. And what belongs to you, but you're the only one that doesn't use it. I just had to throw in one. Ed immediately says, your name. You didn't ask for it. It was given to you when you were born. And I'm like, okay, like, so you can't put together right away that he's asking for help and something to let him go. But you can immediately put together that this riddle is asking for your name. A crazy, obscure riddle. like uh. Yeah, I just, okay. So this is what I mean of like, they're oblivious until it's convenient for the plot. <laughs> they're oblivious until they're, until they're geniuses. It's, yeah. Uh. So anyways, Lorraine says, that's it. Knowing the demon's name gives us power over it and we can cast it out. Ed says they don't know its name. Lorraine says maybe they do. Why else would he give them that clue? He must think that we know it somehow. He must have followed me to Pottery Barn when I bought those letters for our bookshelf. <laughs> he must have been in the house with me when I was writing on my Bible. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe Katie tells him. That's what it is. Katie told him. <laughs> Katie tells Bill, I helped the daughter make a bracelet with the name on it. So, hey, we got this. <laughs> Yeah, Katie and Toby just come strolling up and they're like, hey, Bill. Hey, Bill, we don't like how there's none thing. We don't like Valak too much. So, you know, it's all about Toby in this world. So we need to just stop it. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, Mr. S asks what they do now. Ed says an inhuman spirit strong enough to cloud Lorraine's sight is more than a match for him. And I'm like, good job. You finally realize your wife is the real MVP of your team. <laughs> exactly. Then he says they need to get Janet to a church before it kills her. We cut back to Peggy banging on the door and Mr. S and the Warrens pull up in the car. Peggy tells them Janet's in there. Ed and Mr. S start trying to break down the door. Ed then grabs a brick from the garden and smashes the living room window. He tries to go into the window, but all the furniture flips and barricades the window, knocking Ed in the head and out of the window. My whole thing is there are more windows in this house. Yes, I, that was my thought too. My other thought is this is the first of two Ed had injuries <laughs> to happen in a very short succession. But anyways. I was like, right, they can't throw couches at all the windows. They don't have that many couches. They can get in. They can get into these windows. <laughs> yeah, you would think. But no, no, they don't try the windows again. Ed says he's going around to the back and Lorraine is screaming at him, no. And Peggy is trying to go with him. And Lorraine pushes her back and tells her to go and wait in the car. Ed can hear Janet screaming and runs to the basement. Lorraine tries to run after him, but the door slams shut behind him on its own and it won't open. Mr. S comes to help, saying he'll break it down. Lorraine tells Ed to wait right there. He says he can't wait. He's going ahead. Lorraine tells him to stop. He can't fight this alone. 
Ed says she needs our help. Lorraine begs him to wait for her. They both have this emotional moment with their side of the door. <laughs> Lorraine says, I can't lose you. I'm so scared. Ed says he knows and he's scared too, but he has to help her. Lorraine asks, but what about my vision? Ed says, I know I made a promise to you, but hun, but I have to do this. I love you, Lorraine. And then he runs off and Lorraine starts screaming, no! And like, apparently Vera Famega lost her voice from this scene because she is screaming. (laughs) She is. Yeah, she's not playing. Okay, so Ed wades through the flooded basement and then breaks through the floorboards that I was going to say the ceiling, but really it's just floorboards. There's no ceiling. (laughs) As he climbs out of the hole, there's a pipe behind him and the knob starts twisting as he's pulling it and once he's out steam starts spewing out and it hits him right in the face blinding him uh meanwhile mr s comes back with an axe and starts trying to hack down the door ed has been partially blinded as i mentioned from the steam uh so he calls for janet and then he hears the tv turn on and a choir singing and the station like cutting in and out with static he starts walking through the kitchen and a hand creeps along the doorframe behind him, unseen by Ed because he is blind. He stumbles around and the music stops. He makes his way to the living room and something red and creepy is behind him. And I couldn't tell if this was Janet or the not slender man, the crooked man. I couldn't tell which yeah. one it was. I thought it was Janet. Because I think the crooked man doesn't show up again. Yeah, but the ham was too large to be Janet's and the crooked man does show up again. Does he? I don't remember seeing him again. But anyways, so I'm not sure which one it is, but he's stumbling around, um, makes his way to the living room, and something is behind him, but out of focus. Then the TV switches back on, and Ed walks towards it when he hears Janet calling for help. As he tries to determine where her screams are coming from, Bill growls, and then Ed takes off his cross, and he starts holding it out for protection and saying prayers in Latin as the growling continues. Mr. S is still going. Here's Johnny on the door. It's my note. (laughs) (laughs) Then Lorraine runs into the yard and she starts going Jennifer Love Hewitt by spinning around and saying, what's your name? What's your name? (laughs) Who are you? (laughs) What do you want for this? Then uh, she starts remembering when the nun was in her house and she says, I do know your name. I asked you. And then we cut to the past her saying, tell me your na- who you are. In the ghost dimension, the nun is roaring at her. Lorraine then says, I asked you who you were. You told me. You told me your name. And then we cut to Lorraine mutilating her Bible. And she goes, and I wrote it down. She then runs back to the car to go get her Bible from her suitcase. Ed is stumbling around trying to get up the stairs and still spouting off prayers in Latin. Lorraine is telling the family and Miss, Mrs. Us, who is in the car with the children, the demon's name gives us power over it as she's finding the Bible. She flips through her Bible and finds V-A-L-A-K scrawled across the pages. And <laughs> my note is, I thought she would have remembered buying those wooden letters, but you know, whatever. <laughs> Hey, you know, she bought so many other letters that day. She didn't, she just used these and maybe she has like letters strewn all around the house. Like it happened to be in this room, it spelled out Valak, in the other room, it spelled out Toby, in some other room, it spelled out Annabelle, I don't know, something else. And yeah. You know, just some nice, creepy decor of demons' names. It's just, you know, fun time. 
Um, yes. She dramatically goes, phallic. And then she turns to run back to the house. Lightning strikes the tree out front, breaking it into the giant wooden stake that she saw kill Ed in her vision. So then she gasps and then runs back to the back of the house. The power goes out inside the house and Ed continues to try to find Janet. The zoetrope starts playing inside of the tent and he puts his face right up to it and watches as the Crooked Man cartoon disappears just like before. And when he looks up, the Crooked Man is right in front of his face smiling. Ed jumps back and the tent collapses. The Crooked Man then stands up from underneath the sheet and then throws itself into the closet, which strews out a whole bunch of different items. And then he breaks through the wall and like the wall cracks up to the ceiling and the crack goes all the way into the boys' room and to a wardrobe on the far wall. And then the Crooked Man jumps out from the wardrobe. Ed runs and closes the door so that he can't get out. And the Crooked Man stabs his umbrella through the door, almost getting Ed. We then cut back to outside. Lorraine tells Mr. S to let her through the hole. He's cut into the door. He tries to argue that he should be the one to go in, but Lorraine ignores him and goes in yelling for Ed. Mr. S then tries to get through the hole, but he is far too big for the hole, so he starts cutting more. Ed opens up the girl's room and finds Janet standing and staring out the windows with her back to him. Meanwhile, Lorraine climbs up through the hole and that Ed had made through the floorboards. Ed calls to Janet and she flings her arms back and her head as the glass shatters in the windows, blowing back and cutting her face. Janet steps up onto the windowsill. The broken tree is directly underneath. She jumps and Ed catches her, but he's only holding on to the drapes and i just have a note of like are these the world's strongest fucking drapes in the world no and this it's the world's strongest like curtain, curtain rod, rod I guess, and drapes like yeah. both like it's just like i don't know where they got this in this shitty house but they they can hold a man's weight yeah when... a man and a child's weight i don't understand i accidentally stepped on my curtains uh yesterday when i was going outside and i ripped down the curtain rod from stepping on the curtain like <laughs> i need to invest in the same curtains that the hodgson's have yeah yeah talk to them to see what they see what you could do because man those high quality super high quality I don't understand. But anyways, okay. Lorraine is screaming for Ed and heading up the stairs. The curtains start to like fall down. But the reason that they're falling down is the hooks are breaking, not the curtain rod. The hooks the curtains are on (laughs) break one by one. But the curtain rod's fine. The drapes themselves aren't ripping. It's just just these hooks that are still incredibly strong, but just not strong enough. It's been so long, you know, that now they're starting to... Break one by one, yeah. not even all at once, one by one slowly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so Lorraine bursts into the room and she's screaming for Ed. Then she sees the nun standing in the shadows of the corner of the room. And then the musical cue that plays right now sounds like a wolf howling. And I just, it made me hate the scene even more because it just, it wasn't a good, like, it was just stupid sounding. <laughs> So Ed screams for Lorraine as the curtains, another hook falls off. And so Lorraine makes to run for him, but then the nun hisses slash like snarls or whatever at her. And so she is thrown back and held against the wall. Lorraine screams Ed's name some more as the curtain like falls a little bit more again. 
the nun snarls and looks at Lorraine, who now says, your name gives me dominion over you, demon. And it's like, okay, why are you not just leading with the name? Why, when you first saw her, did you not go, Valak, fuck you? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I thought the same thing. She walks into the room like, you know what's there, you see it. Then all of a sudden, I'm a slow roll that I know your name. Like, I don't... Yeah, no, like, first I'm going to run for Ed, then I'm going to continue to scream Ed's name repeatedly after I've been knocked back by the spirit, and then after screaming Ed's name three more times, I will tell the demon that I know that me knowing your name means that I have dominion over you, and I do know your name, is what she says next. And then um, the nun roars at her, and all the crosses fall off the walls. And she goes, you are Valak, the defiler, the profane, the marquis of snakes. And I was like, when did Lorraine have all this time to research Valak more and find out all of their different names? <laughs> like, Yeah, from the front of the house to upstairs, you know, all of a sudden. Yeah. Maybe that's what she wrote on the other pages of the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> The, the phallic, the defiler, like in small font. Underneath. <laughs> exactly. The defiler, the profane, the marquee of snakes. <laughs> exactly. That's, what, that's how she got that. Oh, I am a right to down here in the margins oh man so the nun nun's face starts breaking apart and Lorraine continues in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit I condemn you back to hell the nun then breaks apart revealing a horned demon then that demon also turns to dust and then Lorraine falls to the floor and finally the curtain completely rips off of the wall took long enough yeah it took long enough and then Lorraine runs towards Ed and grabs him just in time and then pulls him and janet back into the house suddenly mr s and mama peggy are like right there with them and checking in on janet everyone's fine now we cut to daytime the storm has cleared ed and lorraine sit in the back of an ambulance as the family hugs it out on the side of their house and ambulance workers check in on janet Lorraine tells Ed, you saved her. Ed says, no, you saved us. Didn't I tell you it was meant to be? And I'm like, when did he say that? But anyways, um, Lorraine says... The first movie, someday. I guess. Lorraine says, but you believed in me. I couldn't have done it without you. Peggy and Jane come up... Not Jane, Janet. (laughs) Peggy and Janet come up, and Peggy thanks them for coming back for them. Janet hugs Ed and Ed gives her his cross saying that it kept it's kept him safe since he was a kid and he wants her to have it when she grows up and meets someone who needs it give it to them Janet says I'm so lucky turns to Lorraine and says you said one person could change everything but I got to and then we pan over Lorraine's shoulder to the house she turns to look at it and we get text on the screen says the haunting of Enfield would go on to become one of the most documented cases of paranormal history Peggy Hodgson would continue to live out the rest of her days in the Green Street house in 2003 she passed away quietly while sitting in a chair in the living room camera then pans through the house, through the trash living room, and zooms in on the armchair. The quote continues, in the exact same spot where Bill Wilkins had died 40 years earlier. We cut to Ed going into the room of haunted things at his house back in America. 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 He sets down a duffel bag and pulls out the zoetrope. He makes room on a shelf and puts it down beside the music box from the first movie. Annabelle sits behind him in her case. He then hears Elvis playing and he exits the room to find Lorraine 
standing over the record player playing Can't Help Falling in Love with You. Ed laughs and they join hands and they dance. We end on a freeze frame of them with their foreheads pressed together. The end. Oh, but in my holding, the Zoetrope wasn't possessed, right? No. They just brought that in because? Like, they should have brought the chair with them. That would have made a lot more sense. I guess, uh, you know, taking the chair on the plane would have cost them too much. Probably. So we're going to take something else. <laughs> it's more like they're taking a souvenir than they are taking something that was like haunted in this case. I mean, that's kind of my argument about Annabelle as well. Annabelle should not be haunted. It doesn't make sense if it was just a conduit for a demon. And then, like... It- they're treating Annabelle like um, like a trap in um, the Ghostbusters. Like, all right, it's trapped in this thing. So we're going to just watch the thing to make sure it doesn't go yes, anywhere. Yes, but then at the exact same time, they're telling the girls, it was never about the doll. It's a exactly, yeah. separate from the doll. <laughs> and then they're like, but the doll's also evil. <laughs> <laughs> just saying, the doll's evil too. But it's not about the doll. It's about possession of you. You know, it's... Yeah. You know, you just throw it all at the wall and see what sticks. You know, I hate this. I'm just going to say everything. Yeah. So and you'll believe the ones you want. That's what they're doing with the zoetrope here, is my theory. They're like, okay, it was just a demon in your house and it was using different things as a conduit. But the zoetrope's also evil because it's kind of creepy looking. Or maybe they do what I think. I'm like, all right, this is this is too creepy a toy for you kids to be playing with anyway. So I'm just going to take this away and tell you it's haunted. <laughs> we want Billy to continue stammering. <laughs> Exactly. We don't want him to be cured. <laughs> Take this away from him. Learn a new, less creepy nursery rhyme to, to learn how to speak correctly. Oh, man. All right. Well, what are your thoughts? I enjoyed it more than the first time I watched it. A- as in to say, this time I wasn't bored. That's what's happened to me the first time. I was bored watching it. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't bored this time. But I didn't say like, wow, this is a great movie. You know, I was just like, all right. It, it was it was two hours long, which was way too long. It at least tried to keep you invested by things happening along the way. You know, they didn't spend all this time with nothing going on. Like, all right, something's going on. So they're talking, boom, scare. They're talking, boom, the washing machine blows up. And they leave it flooding for an hour for, for four months, apparently. And so they do that. So at least it, it tried to move, even though it has a two-hour runtime, which it didn't need to have. This movie could have been an hour and 40 minutes, maybe, easy, yeah, an hour and a half. That's my main complaint, is that it's a very long movie. And yes, I agree, more things happen in it, but I just think the Crooked Man should be completely cut. Should be. Should have been. Like, even the nun stuff should have been mostly cut. Yeah, like I, I prefer the nun to the Crooked Man. Like You don't need three different villains for a movie. It's too much. Actually, it's just... But then they, they try to have their cake and eat it too, saying, oh, it's not three villains. It's one taking different forms. And Bill's being held hostage. And Bill's technically being held hostage. Yeah. Like, just have it be Bill and the fire truck, for fuck's sakes. I don't care. Like, you know what I mean? Like, the whole, the CGI didn't end up working. The concept of the Crooked Man just, like, wasn't, it wasn't good. And so it added extra scenes that could have been cut to bring this movie down to an hour 45. Oh, so you could eliminate one of the children, uh, Billy or whatever Johnny. his name is. Um, Johnny. Eliminate Johnny because he's not in this movie anyway. So <laughs> Yeah, he has one shining moment of picking up a knife in the kitchen and then crying in a cupboard. That That's all Johnny does. Technically, you could eliminate both boys. You can just keep it the girls and that's it. Mm. Yeah, I guess if we get rid of the Crooked Man. Yeah, if you get rid of the Crooked Man, you don't need um, Billy? Yeah. Terrence? Billy. Uh, oh, I actually got that one right. Sweet. <laughs> I don't know. I liked that first scare with him where it's just uh, the fire truck in the tent. I thought that was like could, a decent buildup yeah. of like, you know, the small scares to start with and it gets more and more. 
Yeah, I just liked it more when I saw it in the sixth sense. So that's, a- <laughs> that's fair. That's a very fair. That's when I like that scare. I'm all better now. <laughs> that's when I because that was another kid with tents in his house. At least they they justified that tent in his house. That was like his his sanctuary from the, the ghosts. Yeah, until Misha Barton crashed it. <laughs> Uh, that was Misha Barton. That was Misha Barton. child Misha Barton. Yeah. Wow, child Misha Barton. Isn't that a, all right, good for her. <laughs> Agree. I appreciated that more things were happening throughout this movie, but I just, it was too long. I hated the Crooked Man. I hated the musical interlude. <laughs> I was fine with it. I know. Fine the musical interlude. They should have changed, they should have changed the characteristics of Ed and Lorraine mm-hmm. as another one. Yeah. But at the end of it, I just did not enjoy this as much as I enjoyed the first one. Oh, no, no, no. The first one's a way better movie. Mm. Way better movie. I just say, I didn't hate this movie as much as I did the first time I tried to watch it. I didn't even finish it the first time. Yeah. This time I didn't it didn't make me want to turn it off. Fair. I don't know if that's that's I don't know if that's high praise. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't sound like it but it, it has to come for something that you know what the first time i couldn't even leave it on this time i just want that to be like on a movie poster like it didn't make me want to turn it off yeah then when, hey, you know what this time i actually watched the whole way through good on you good on you movie. so what would you rate it this movie i, I think like a like a five you're just like on the same level with this series i wrote five too yeah, it's like blah on this because it's not so egregious. I'm like, oh, you're horrible. Like, yeah. It's not. And stuff is happening and it has some decent scares. You know, I'm broken inside, so I don't get scared. <laughs> but I, but I could justify, like, I can see somebody getting scared over this. Mm-hmm. Right, I can see that. That's creepy. All right. It's, the girl's doing creepy little voices. That's cool. All right. And so I can, so it's like a five. You know, it's middle of the road. Doesn't hurt anything. Just like blah. Mm-hmm. I agree. A five. So what does that bring us to? We were eights in the first one. No, we we're sevens. Seventh. Now look at us tied. It will like, it be like sixty-ish percent, I guess. Yep, exactly sixty. Mm-hmm. Look at you and your math skills. Look at me, all in my head and everything. These are easy numbers. That's why I could do it. Like, if we stuck to point fives and stuff, then nope, it's over. <laughs> so yeah, we're sitting at sixty percent so far for this series. I have a feeling that it's going to drop, but let's see. Let's see. I'm open mind. I haven't watched it yet. Maybe I'll love it. Maybe. The chatter, yeah, chatter online says this is this was decent from what I was reading. I haven't seen it yet, though, so I'm just, I didn't want to skip ahead. If it's anything like the trailer, I'm going to hate it. But anyway. It might not be. You know, the trailer, sometimes they just have do whatever they want to do. So it could be still, it could be. I don't know. I watched it. I don't know. It could be. I'm trying to keep hope. Well, friends, we didn't say it, but the next one is going to be The Conjuring 3. The devil made me do it. We're hoping to get that out for you next week. Yes, it should be on time. And we've been a little, we've been a little, uh, sketchy isn't right where we've been a little inconsistent with our releases. We're trying, we're working on trying to get that schedules aligned Mm -hmm. and everything more in order so that we can get, stop skipping weeks, you know, so we can actually get, get a, get a handle on life a little bit. Try to take life by the reins, guide it for a while, guide it for a bit instead of it guiding us. (laughs) And we're going to try to take a little bit of, a little bit of a, 
control over that. So we have a couple fun things coming down the line for you guys too. You know, after the conjuring, because we just have one more left. We're gonna have some stuff there that we'll get into next week, more likely than not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I'm excited. I'm excited to, for the things that are to come. Um, in Ireland, I'm looking at you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> yes, thanks. If you're an Irish fan, yeah, if you're an Irish fan, write us. What's going on? Hey, yeah, love you guys. I was joking the other day because I was telling uh, my friend how we were we keep charting in Ireland. And I'm like, what if it's just that the population of Ireland is so small that my one friend in Ireland is making us chart? Hey, if it's your one friend now, that'll work. <laughs> so, hey, Kayla, I love you. <laughs> hey, Kayla, I love you now too. I guess. <laughs> but anyways, in the meantime, you can always connect with us on the social medias. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Series of Horrors Podcasts. And also, if you want to write us a note, write us a letter, you know, you can. It's uh, seriesofhorrors at gmail.com. Also, if you like what you listen to and you think other people would review it, because if you do, why wouldn't everybody else love this too? Um, please tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend, you know, get the word out there. Get us known a little bit if you can. If it's not too much trouble, I would, we would love it and adore it if you would give us a nice five starish review or thumbs up us or whatever you, on whatever podcast catcher service that you use to listen to us on. You know, it just gets us, it helps us get noticed of what's going on here with this horror movie franchise road we're on. Yeah. More or less. Yes. But next week, it's going to be Conjuring 3. The podcast made me do it. No, wait, the devil made me do it. <laughs> and we'll be watching that. And back to you on this. Yeah, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Yes. Have a good one. Bye, guys. One more week. One more week. Bye.